Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When I was 12, I attended summer camp to learn how to ride horses. We were going to be away from our parents for four or five nights. I was really excited because I always wanted to learn how to ride a horse due to my love for animals, but I was also nervous about being away from my family and around strangers for that long. Most of it was amazing and everything I dreamed of, however the one night labeled Sleep Under the Stars is an experience that I don't think I'll ever forget. That night we had to leave our bunks and go outside to sleep in tents. I hated tents, but everyone else was doing it so I figured I'd play along. There were a lot of activities that took place before bed. We were able to sit by the campfire, make s'mores, and tell stories. When it came time for bed, it was four of us to a tent, and I could already tell I wasn't going to get much sleep. I just couldn't get comfortable and was wishing it was morning. The other people in my tent seemed to pass out almost immediately, which left me to sit there and try to count sheep in the dark. There were a lot of tents in the small area due to the fact that everyone in the camp was sleeping outside for one night. I was starting to get a little drowsy when I heard what sounded like footsteps outside of the tent. I was right near the mesh window of the tent because I tended to get hot and was hoping the cool breeze would let me sleep. The footsteps then got louder, but I tried to ignore them, presuming it was a counselor or one of the camp leaders. But then I felt a presence right outside my tent. It was like someone was kneeling right outside the mesh window. I gathered the courage to look outside the window and there was something outside. I didn't look long enough to see what it was, but something was there. It was silent at first, but then I heard whispering, just mumbling and whispering for minutes and minutes without a break. I couldn't really make out the words because it was so soft, but I could definitely hear something. I thought I could hear the words, Savior, Sacrifice, Wept. I feel like I've heard the words wept a lot, but like I said, I couldn't really make it out. Every so often it would stop and I would peek my head out of my sleeping bag to check and see if someone was there, and the figure was always still there right outside the mesh window. On and off I could hear the whispering and mumbling all night. I tried several times to kick or punch someone in my tent to wake them up, but it didn't work. Eventually, during one of the moments of silence, I must have dozed off. As scared as I was, I have no clue how I was able to fall asleep even ever so briefly. I checked the window again and nothing was there, but about five minutes later, I heard a loud shriek and a gust of wind. When I woke up the next morning, I asked everyone if they heard or experienced anything similar to what I did during the night. No one heard or saw anything other than me. I know I wasn't asleep and I absolutely saw and heard those things that night. 
I don't want to say it wasn't human because nothing gave me that idea, but what type of person would have knelt by our tent and mumbled under their breath the entire night? As scared as I was at the time, I'm glad I never had another experience like that again. If you're like me, staying home alone every day in the summer can become a drag. I've always been someone who needs to stay busy all the time. I don't like being alone and like to always be active. Last year, after finishing my freshman year of college, I decided to take a summer job to make some extra cash. I worked for a landscaping company, but the pay was under the table. I won't put the name of the company out there, but the owner seemed eager to get me on immediately, so... I figured perhaps I could become a full-time employee later in the summer. For the time being, he agreed to pay me based on different jobs we did. For the first few weeks, it was great. I was getting super tan and jacked from all the lifting. The first three weeks, he paid me, and I was getting paid quite well. But by the time we got to the fourth week is when things started to get weird. He usually paid me on Friday, but didn't pay me this week. When I brought it up to him, he just smiled and said that he was going to start paying me every two weeks. I was kind of annoyed, but basically said whatever because I figured I would have a fat paycheck in another week. Well, fast forward another week and I don't get paid. Now I'm upset. I've been doing hard work for two weeks and not getting paid. I called my boss and asked what the deal was. He claimed he just forgot and was sorry. I shrugged it off and said... Whatever, it was fine. We agreed to meet on Saturday for the payment. I went to the spot he told me to meet him at and he handed me an envelope. I took it and told him I'd see him on Monday. When I opened the envelope, it was just pay for one week. I called him furious, but he insisted that he paid me for the previous week. I flipped out over it and told him I didn't want to continue working, especially under the table and that it was making me uncomfortable. He called and begged me to come back for a huge job we had next week and that he would pay me double. I agreed, thinking this would likely be my last job and I could take the cash and move on. Monday comes and I meet him at this huge house surrounded by nothing but open land. We started laying mulch and setting up the front yard. Before I knew it, I was alone. I didn't see him anywhere. I got a little angry that I was now by myself doing all this work. After an hour or so, I finally see him emerge from the back of the house. He looked frustrated and almost a little nervous. He came up to me and in a very soft voice he said, Can you go see if you can get the water turned on in the basement? I tried and I couldn't get it. Please? It was a weird request. I honestly wanted to get out of the heat for a second, so I accepted. Once in the basement, I found the water hooked up in a matter of seconds, but... What I noticed right away was that the water was already on. I turned around quickly and that's when I saw my boss and a skinny woman standing behind me. He had his hands out facing me and she had one hand behind her back almost as if though she was concealing something. Before I could speak he said, You shouldn't have come down here. And just so you know, I'm sorry. Thinking quick on my feet, I kicked him in his ankle and ran right through the skinny woman. I got to my car and drove away and called the police. 
The worst part about all of this was that there was literally nothing they could do because I was technically working under the table, and there was no records of this man's company even though I had seen one of his trucks with a logo on it. Fortunately for me, this guy didn't know where I lived. It almost seemed like the company was a scam from the start, but I'm not sure what his intentions with me ever were. I know there is a lot I could have done differently, but this is easily the weirdest experience of my entire life. Was this psycho really going to try to hurt me over a week or so of pay? Either way, I'm glad I never ran into that landscaping psychopath again. Two years ago, my wife and I purchased a small property on the lake for the family to spend the summer months away from the hustle and bustle of the city. As soon as kindergarten concluded for the year, my wife and I packed up our belongings and our five-year-old son to set off for our new summer vacation home. My wife is a biologist and she would be able to work from home due to our location and research she could do from our property. Our family is fortunate that she has such a successful job which allows us the freedom to live comfortably. Unfortunately for me, we have moved a lot over the last 10 to 15 years and have not been able to stay with the same company for an extended period of time. This new town had one small grocery store that seemed to be the main location that everyone used for shopping. It also seemed to be a hotspot for tourists who would visit once the weather turned warm. Luckily for me, I am a trained butcher from jobs I had in my early 20s, so finding work was usually not very difficult. I applied for a job at this small store and got a job almost immediately. There would be two butchers on staff, myself and the guy who ran the store, Will, the same person who hired me. For the first few weeks, he seemed like a pretty quiet and laid-back guy. I would get to work every day shortly after 7 a.m., he never really cared that I was usually five minutes late. He was about six foot tall, greasy black hair, and a huge nose. He had really small, green, beady eyes. His voice was really low and rumbled a bit when he talked, and he had baby-looking teeth, like when he smiled you could see a whole mess of teeth. After the first few weeks is when I noticed things starting to get a little odd. His temper would get out of hand and he would explode on me seemingly out of nowhere and then five minutes later be totally cool again. It didn't really bother me too much because he was technically my boss and I just assumed maybe he had some kind of anger issues and I'm not one to judge. After these first few weeks of little outbursts, they began to get more uncomfortable. He would start saying things like, You better get this done before I leave or you'll be sorry. Or mumble things like, Sometimes I think you'd be more help if you were dead. This stuff made me uncomfortable, but again, I just assumed that maybe that's how he managed. I met a lot of old school butchers during my time in this business, and some of them are really intense individuals, so I figured this was more of one and the same. Fast forward to a day when I showed up to work 15 minutes late. I got caught in a traffic jam and unfortunately there isn't really any alternative routes to get to the store. I showed up and Will was just standing in the meat cooler staring at me. He had a black apron on, covered in blood from cutting all morning with the huge butcher knife still in his hand. I tried to apologize and before I could speak, he put his hand up to silence me and said in his deep voice, 
This will be the last time you're late. The last person to disrespect me. And Ikana paused for a moment and looked down to the ground and then finished by saying, Never mind. Just don't be late again. The next few days he was very quiet, like something was bothering him. But to me it was great not having to hear him complain about everything. He left early one day and told me to just make sure I cut a few extra things and to clean the meat. It was about 7pm and I was about to call it a night and head home until I noticed something. In the back corner of the meat cooler we had what was called bone cans. This is a waste can where you dispose of bones and trim fat. Coming out of the bottom of one of the cans was a small pool of blood. Now ordinarily this wouldn't be a huge deal because I see this a lot with my job, but this pool looked fresh and the smell was real bad. I tried to move the can and it was much heavier than it usually was. They get picked up once a week, but this week they were a day late for some reason. I took the lid off and almost passed out due to the smell. I also noticed meat in there that was a strange color and again a lot more blood than usual. I put the lid back and left that night trying to figure out what the heck was in that can and why it smelled so bad. I've been in this business for a long time and I've smelled bad meat before but this was so bad. The next day I came in and Will was standing in the corner again and looked incredibly angry. He came at me with a crazed look in his eye and a knife in hand and said, What do you think you saw in that can? He started to poke my chest with his finger and say in a really hostile and defensive voice, Come on pal, tell me what you saw. I know you were digging, just tell me what you think you saw. His voice started to turn into a yell, and this is where I decided to call it quits. Once you put your hands on me, I am done. The crazy thing is, I don't even know how he knew I looked in the bone can. Maybe I left the lid ajar. I couldn't remember. I left and he actually followed me to my car. Not to apologize, but to keep on hammering me about the bone can. I drove off and looked in the mirror and he was standing in the parking lot still yelling to himself. Now the reality is, I didn't actually dig or even look in the can longer than a few seconds. I drove home immediately and my wife of course supported me and was happy to let me just spend the rest of my summer breaks with my son being a stay at home dad. About a week after the incident where I quit, I was awoken in my recliner in my living room close to 4 to 5 a.m. I was woken up by lights outside that had driven by the property. The wife was already gone for the day and my son was sleeping. All the lights in the house were off and I made my way to the window. There was a massive red pickup truck parked outside my house. Now the scary part is there was nobody inside the truck, and even though I couldn't make out a lot of the details, the truck looked like the one always parked outside of the grocery store. Will's truck. I went into my son's room and stayed there awake for the rest of the night. At about 7.30am I looked outside and the truck was gone. For the next few nights I saw that truck driving around the block but couldn't see the driver. I told my wife what I had been seeing and she recommended perhaps we go back to the house in the city as her current project was almost done anyway. A few weeks after being back in the city I needed to head back out to the lake to grab some of the items that we had forgotten. When I got there, one of our windows was broken and 
things were tossed around like someone had been inside the property. I did report this to the local authorities mostly to document the damage that had been done to the property. I know I don't have any proof that Will caused the damage or that my family was actually in danger. I just know something was off about that guy and I think next year we are planning to sell that property and find some much further away from that area. The events of this story happened a couple of years ago to my friends and I after our last day of high school in our senior year. We decided to celebrate by hiking and camping in this massive forest close to our hometown. We talked about it for years and this was going to be our celebration for graduating. Our friend group was pretty outdoorsy but so were most of the people who grew up here. Anyways, we had always heard that there was a beautiful crystal clear lake in the middle of the forest the lake was supposedly accompanied by breathtaking waterfalls. One of our friends Chris got hiking directions to the lake and we decided to make this post-graduation trip a reality. Chris had the most outdoor experience out of all of us, so we trusted him to make the plans. It was Chris and his girlfriend Mindy, myself, and my friend Danny, and our other friend Tony with his girlfriend Marissa. The trip was planned as a three-day hiking trip while camping each night under the stars. It sounded amazing. We would reach the lake on the second day and then head back. We would have to camp one more night and be back on the third day pretty early in the morning. The trip started out amazing. I have never really been the biggest fan of sleeping in a tent, but the views were truly breathtaking. The sounds and the way the sun shined through the trees made it seem like we were exploring another world. Once it started to get dark, we decided to set up camp for the night. It was pretty comical watching us trying to set up tents while exhausted, but we managed to figure it out. We stayed up for a while, telling stories and playing pitch, but caught it a night relatively early so we could start back up hiking at sunrise. Danny and I woke up in our tent shortly after 3am. We swore we could hear voices outside of the tent. It sounded like air but didn't have the howling of the wind. He told me of course it was wind and there was nothing to worry about. But to me, it almost sounded like whispers. I could hear sticks cracking in the distance. You'd expect to hear quiet or even crickets or something, but instead it was all sorts of other racket. I had a horrible feeling that maybe there was a bear or something out there, or maybe even other people, and then fear came over me feeling like we weren't alone. Danny eventually fell back asleep, but I was wired for the rest of the night. I sat clenching my pillow and jumped out at every little noise. A little after six, I heard Chris outside of his tent and I went out to greet him. He also heard the weird noises and admitted that in all the years camping, he never heard noises like that, but wasn't really alarmed. We packed up our gear and headed out to the lake. If we kept good pace, we would make it by noonish. We all seemed sluggish and tired from the night. We were more tired and short with each other today than the previous day. I had an uneasy feeling the entire day thinking somebody was out there following us. About 12.30 we arrived at the lake and honestly, it was so worth it. The waterfalls looked like glass the way the sun reflected off of it, and the water actually looked like it was glowing. 
It was beautiful. We swam for a while and played by the waterfall. The events of the previous evening seemed to vanish in my mind for a while. We got dry and decided to start heading back so our third day of hiking tomorrow wouldn't be so bad. We set up camp about five hours or so from our cars. If it was up to me, I would have just kept walking, but anybody who has been in the woods at nightfall knows it is pitch black. It wasn't worth getting lost, so we decided to just camp and get home tomorrow. We were all beat and passed out almost right away after setting up camp. Again, I was jolted awake a little after 3am. This time, there was no mistaking it. There was clearly voices outside the tent. We could hear women's voices, several of them, and they were laughing. Not only laughing like a giggle, a deep screeching laugh. We could hear the branches on the ground breaking around us. It seemed like we were surrounded. Danny was awake with me and he was scared stiff. We could only make out several words amongst the mumbles. We could hear the creepy voices saying things in their low, drawn-out voices. Flesh and strike. I want to strike. Those horrifying phrases were followed by more cackling and mumbles that we couldn't make out. We all sat in fear all night listening to these noises on and off. It would stop for a time and then start back up almost sounding like it was directly outside the tent. At sunrise, we heard Chris yell outside his tent. We all came out to find a crazy amount of footprints surrounding our campsite and they went in all sorts of directions with seemingly no rhyme or reason. There were strange patterns or rocks and sticks set up all over the campsite. The sticks looked bent and almost human-like silhouettes. We packed up our gear in record time and nearly ran the rest of the way out of the forest. Unlike the previous two days, we heard laughing and twigs snapping in the distance the entire trek back to the cars. Myself and Mindy started to cry just because of the sheer panic and fear we felt while trying to race out of the woods, and probably because we were extremely overtired. When we would look in the distance behind us, or side to side, we would see nothing, but we still heard the sounds. We finally made the near five-hour hike in just under four hours. It was an amazing sigh of relief to be able to see the cars. As we all ran to our cars to load the gear up, I sat in the passenger seat and waited for Danny. None of us have ever returned to that forest. I'm not really sure what happened to us over the course of those few summer nights. Some say witchcraft, and others say just some woman or kids who were messing with us. Others think it was our imagination, but we all witnessed the same thing. I know what I heard that evening. Maybe it doesn't seem that scary, but for me, it was the most terrifying couple of nights of my life. What a way to start off graduation and my summer vacation. I'm currently in my late 20s, but at the time of these events, my 8th grade school year had just ended. I was excited that I was going to be able to spend the entire summer with my two closest buddies and that we would be heading into 9th grade together. We didn't really do much other than just hang out, play PlayStation 2, play some basketball outside, and message girls from our class on Instant Messenger, which I hope most of you remember what that was. 
If not, then I guess I'm getting way too old. We would usually hang out at my house because my parents were always pretty cool with my friends being there. And the way my house was set up, we pretty much had a ton of privacy, which was awesome for teenage boys being idiots. My house at the time was located on a pretty quiet street, but my neighborhood was in close proximity to the more rough sections of my hometown. A close walk from my house was a corner store that sold really cheap soda, chips, and candy. This was obviously a frequent destination for me and my friends. Well, about a week after 8th grade ended, my two buddies were staying overnight like they always did. We thought it would be a cool idea to sneak out of the house after my parents went to sleep and walk to the corner store a few blocks away. Of course, not to do anything crazy, but just to have the thrill of being out late on our own. And being a foolish teenager, I had no awareness of the danger I was potentially putting myself and friends in. Around 11, my parents went to sleep, and that's when we decided to sneak out of the house. At first, the thrill of being out was awesome, but the feeling would soon change when we got to the store. We went in there with about 20 bucks, and we planned on spending it on a whole bunch of snacks. We all split up to grab certain things. I was in the back corner looking at the soda when I saw somebody lurking in the opposite corner. The only reason why this was concerning to me was because he was facing me and not facing the shelves of products. I pretended I didn't notice him because, who knows, maybe it was just a coincidence. As I looked at the Fago sodas, I noticed in the reflection of the cooler that a shadowy figure was now moving closer and still facing me. I quickly grabbed a two-liter and went and found my friends. I darted away, and when I looked back, the figure was standing right where I was just a moment ago, and still facing me and not the case. I was freaked out, but didn't want to let my friends know that I was. I also want to add that there was nobody else in the store other than us, the cashier, and this guy or girl. We grabbed our stuff and cashed out. I was trying to be quick about it, but my friends were being stupid and loud, perhaps trying to show off, but honestly, I was just freaking out. We started the several block walk home. I was moving pretty good, and finally my friends stopped and asked what my problem was. I told them what had happened in the store, and they seemed pretty rattled as well. We continued moving quickly. My house was maybe only a hundred feet away at this point when we noticed that the person from the store was now rushing full speed up the hill at us. We ran as fast as we could. Lucky for us, the lunatic was still quite a ways away yet. We ran into the front door and for some reason still tried to be as quiet as we could as not to wake my parents. We turned and locked the door, made sure all the lights were off. The person reached my house and started to bang on the front door angrily. That's when I finally gave in to logic and woke my parents, who immediately called the authorities. I tried yelling through the door that we called the cops, and the person didn't seem to respond. He just kept trying to open the door and continued banging on it. After minutes or two, he took a decorative stone from our front yard and broke the window next to the front door. That is when I finally got a good look at the guy. He tried to climb into the window and the broken glass knocked his hood off. He was completely expressionless. He had dirty blonde hair, was clean-shaved, and honestly looked like an average Joe. He was about halfway through the window when my dad came out with a bat and started swinging at him. 
Before there was too much of a struggle, we saw the lights and heard sirens. The cops got out of the car screaming and pulled the man out of the window. It was the most intense thing I've ever seen in front of my eyes. The man was obviously arrested. Apparently he had no criminal history and no history of drugs or alcohol. When questioned by the cops, he said, Honestly, I was bored, and I just felt like being a little bit evil tonight. We had no idea what his intentions were, but just felt incredibly lucky that we somehow came out of that event physically unharmed. Mentally, I still think about that night over a decade later. I used to stay up for hours thinking if we weren't that far ahead of him, he could have caught up to us and possibly hurt us. I also used to stay up for hours in fear that he would show up at my house again when I'd least expect it. It just goes to show you that even the most harmless decisions can sometimes lead to consequences you regret the most. Summer break is an awesome time to kick back, relax, and even enjoy some traveling. Unfortunately for me, my summer break did not consist of vacationing or kicking back. My old roommate Dave was going on vacation with his fiancée and he asked me to take care of his golden retriever Millard. Always trying to make a quick buck, I quickly accepted. I planned on staying overnight with Millard while Dave was gone for a couple of nights. Feeling lonely, I asked some of my friends to come over and hang out for a while. We sat outside, ate some wings, and just hung out for a couple of hours. I had to work at 6.30 in the morning, so I kicked them out at around 11 and decided to get ready for bed. I put on the TV and made myself comfortable on the living room couch. I started to doze off instantly, and while I was going in and out, I heard the doorbell ring. I kind of jolted awake and just sat still for a moment. I thought perhaps maybe it was the TV and maybe I just woke myself up thinking it was the doorbell. That was quickly proven false when the doorbell rang again. My heart was practically jumping out of my chest. I grabbed my watch and saw that it was around 11.47pm. Who the heck would be at the door at this hour of the night? I slowly approached the door as the bell rang again for the third time. It was a shady looking guy with a backwards cap on. He had a big brown bag in his hand. I opened the front door crack while still keeping the chain on and didn't open the screen door and I asked what he wanted. In a very soft and unconvincing voice, he said, Hi, I have your food delivery. I immediately yelled that I didn't order any food. He proceeded to say my address and then followed with, That is your address, right? I have your delivery. More annoyed than anything else, I told him once more that he had the wrong house and slammed the door in his face and turned on the lights off. The house I was staying in was a split-level ranch, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it's kind of like having a one-and-a-half-story house. The basement is usually a living room, and it's not completely under the ground. The windows are usually like eye-level, so I went to the basement part of the house and was looking out the front windows. He was sitting in his car with the car not on, still parked in the driveway, I was a little spooked, so I called my brother to tell him what happened. He told me not to worry, and it was probably some kind of mistake. I agreed and went back to look out the window, and the car was still there in the driveway. 
but he wasn't inside of it anymore. I grabbed the dog and locked myself in Dave's bedroom. She barked and growled all night long, not sure if it was because she could hear things or because she was stuck in the room. I hardly slept that night, and when it was time for me to leave for work, I got ready in the bedroom and ran out of the house as fast as I could. I had a brief moment of relief when I noticed the car wasn't in the driveway, but that soon changed when I turned the corner and the car was parked on the side of the road. I went to work terrified. I blasted my family that day asking if it was some kind of practical joke, and they assured me and promised me that it wasn't them. I came back to feed Millard after work with my one friend and we noticed footprints all around the house and scratches on the siding of the house where one of the back windows were. It looked like someone had tried to scare me or actually tried to break in and were unsuccessful. In hindsight, I realized I should have gotten the license plate number, but I just thought I was maybe being paranoid. I could have also asked what company they represented so I could call to see if it was real or not. When Dave returned, I brought this up to him and he said that he had never had an experience like this. Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe the delivery person was angry they got pranked and were now stuck with the bill. Or maybe I could have been in real life danger. Either way, this one summer night, I still bring up to my friends when they want to hear a freaky story. This is a short story that happened to me several years ago, but still affects me to this day. Now, objectively speaking, this may not be very scary for others reading this, but the image is burned into my mind. It is something I don't think I will ever forget. School had just ended three weeks prior, and my friend and I were just hanging out enjoying a surprisingly beautiful summer night. I live in a very quiet town. There really isn't much commotion, nor really much of anything that goes on. We have one main school, and our graduating class is tiny compared to most. Around midnight, we were pretty sick of playing games and wanted to do something different. He suggested walking around outside on the beautiful clear summer night. Without much hesitation, I agreed. It was after midnight in a quiet town. I figured not much could go wrong. My parents were asleep, but they trusted me anyway, so sneaking out just to walk probably wouldn't have been a huge issue. We ended up staying out for a couple of hours. We talked about movies, wrestling, and what our plans for the rest of the summer would be. Up to this point, it had actually been one of my favorite nights in a long time, just to be able to enjoy the nice breeze, moonlight, and have some good old-fashioned conversation. We were already on our way back home and were probably only about five minutes from my house. We were walking down a very low-lit street. On the right side were some old houses where 95% of the lights were off, and our left was just trees. My friend pointed out as we were walking that the way one of the lights were hitting the trees, it almost looked like a person. We laughed at first and kind of were amazed at how much it really did look like a person. But after a moment, the laughter faded away as we realized that maybe this wasn't just shadow. So like the fools that we were, we decided to explore and I pulled back a few branches and saw that there actually was a woman standing there. She had a huge, almost disturbing smile on her face. She was old, probably in her 70s I would guess. 
She was dressed normal and had lots of nice jewelry on. She looked how my grandma would dress for holiday parties, but the scariest part was that she was just standing there like a statue, smiling at us. For a moment we stood there in shock, and within a split second her smile vanished and she jumped out and made a huge grunt and a scream. We ran as fast as we could back to the house. To my knowledge, she didn't follow us or anything. I know most people might not find this particularly scary, but in the middle of the night when you find a creepy old lady hiding in the trees, it really rattles your cage. Nothing else of note came from this incident, but as I mentioned previously, I'll never be able to get the image of her smiling and suddenly screaming at us out of my head. I would try to tell this story to the best of my ability, but as my friends could tell you, I have a terrible memory, so some of the details may be excluded. This happened to me when I was 14 years old. I am now 27. It was summer break. I can remember this because I was extremely bored, and I felt like I could literally die from the boredom. My parents went to work every morning, and I was left home alone to do chores. I was a trustworthy kid, so my parents allowed me to stay home alone. The two rules were never to leave the house, and I couldn't use the oven. I lived in a really nice area other than the one extremely old and ugly house on the corner. The house was covered with vines and all sorts of unkempt landscaping everywhere. Well, one summer day, my stupid 14-year-old self thought that it was going to be a good idea to go out and check the house. It was during the day, so I figured nothing could go wrong. I wanted to see inside. I wasn't going to steal anything, I just wanted to see what the inside looked like. Every day when we used to get off the bus, we would always tell stories of it being haunted and stuff like that. Well, when I finally saw my friends again, I wanted to tell them that I had been inside the house. I got all black clothes on and thought I was going to be super sneaky. It was 12 in the afternoon, so I probably looked like a moron. I approached the front of the house and was surprised that the door was actually locked. I banged on the door for a second and was able to jimmy the lock. I opened the door, and my excitement quickly vanished when I was greeted with an elderly man holding a knife towards my face. He looked so old and gross that I almost thought he wasn't real. He had a long white beard and Albert Einstein looking hair. He was wearing a thick red flannel despite being the summer. As soon as I had a split second to process this man holding a knife near my face, I turned and ran as fast as I could, and heard him yell, That's it, you're done! I of course had no idea what that meant. My 14-year-old heart was beating out of my chest. I was in amazement that somebody actually lived there, and I started to panic that I was going to get arrested for breaking in. My parents were going to kill me. I was going to be in so much trouble. Well, sure enough, several minutes later, the police showed up at my house, and my parents were called right away. The cop was really nice, and I tried to explain to them that I thought it was an abandoned house. What got me in trouble was that this old man said that I had been terrorizing him for weeks, and the truth was, that was the first time I had ever been there. According to the old man, he said he can hear my footprints downstairs in his kitchen when he was trying to sleep. Luckily, I was 14 
and had my parents to defend me and say that that obviously wasn't true. Fast forward about a week and I was grounded for just about my entire lifetime, but most of the dust had cleared. Until my doorbell rang and it was the cops again. I explained that I had been home the entire day, and luckily for me my dad was off that day and he was there to back up my story. Well, upon investigation into the matter, the police had found somebody living in this old man's crawl space for weeks. At night, he would apparently sneak around for food and use the bathroom. The day that I broke in was very suspicious because he heard a lot of noise the previous night, and when he saw me, he just assumed that I was the intruder. The man actually came down to my dad and thanked me for breaking in because it actually helped him figure out what was really going on. So yeah, I had my great story to tell my friends. Sad thing was, I was grounded for the remainder of the summer, so I was going to have to wait for school to tell them. I remember being a teenager and really enjoying those first few weeks of summer break. Sleeping in, staying up late, hanging with friends, and basically just enjoying being out of school and not having to worry about homework or teachers. On this specific night, my parents were out of town for their anniversary. My friend James was coming over for the night, and my brother, who was 20 at the time, was going to be there to look after us because it was only one night. Well, around 1am, James just happened to look out the window, and there were two people standing in the middle of the road and they appeared to be looking at us. We told my brother who then decided to look outside. They were now taking pictures and it looked like the pictures were aimed at our house. So my brother who doesn't really mess around went outside and yelled at the two from our front steps. It was a man and a woman probably in their 20s I would guess. The man didn't say anything but the woman said, Oh we're sorry we were just trying to take a picture of the moon. It's really beautiful. My brother said that he didn't care and they needed to leave right now. She then insisted that he come down there and look at the moonlight, and then he would understand. After a brief verbal scuffle, my brother then said, If you guys don't get off my property, I'm going to make you. And he started to approach the couple. Once my brother got to the street, the man who was in the road hit him in the back of the head. James and I just sat in disbelief. We didn't know what to do. Clearly, we were only young teenagers, and this guy is attempting to beat up my brother. James called the police and explained what was happening. I was in a panic, worrying if my brother was okay. I looked again, and the man was now kicking him, and the woman just sat there and laughed, seemingly enjoying it. I covered my eyes, and that's when I heard her yell, run. My neighbor from across the street ran out with a baseball bat, he didn't hit the man, but he tried. They ran off quickly and were out of sight in a moment. The man helped my brother up and helped him to the door. The cops showed up a few minutes later and we gave our statement. Of course, there was really nothing that could be done because none of us got a good look at the couple. Writing this as an adult, I still get a sick feeling in my stomach every time I see the moon on a summer night.
So the events of the story happened to me several years ago during the last family vacation I ever took during summer break. Every year we used to drive a couple of hours away from my hometown to a beautiful tourist area near the ocean with lots of great seafood. This year was no different, but we decided to leave in the middle of the night when my dad got out of work so we could be there by 7am and have the entire day at the ocean. The first part of this trip was great. I slept for a little bit, as did my sister and mom. I live on the northeastern coast of the United States, and for a huge stretch of that trip, it's just trees and mountains. Of what I could see was actually very relaxing and soothing to try and sleep too. A little after 3am, I was woken up by my dad, who kind of loudly shouted some curse words. I asked him if everything was okay, and he said in an almost nervous voice, Yeah, honey, uh, go back to sleep. Without asking any other questions, I closed my eyes, and almost immediately after, my eyes were open again because my dad swerved the car so erratically, I thought my sister was going to go through the window. This is when things started to turn for the worst. My mom woke up and yelled at my dad, and that's when we found out what was happening. My dad had told us that there had been a jeep of some kind behind us for about an hour. They were riding our tail, and every time my dad switched lanes, they would as well. This was the time before cell phones were hugely popular, so we couldn't just call the police. We decided to stop at the next rest area and call the authorities. We saw a sign that said rest area two miles. It seemed like forever away now that we knew that whoever this was was really messing with us. And if they had truly been following us for an hour, then this was more than a joke and definitely somebody who intended to harm us. Two miles came and we pulled into the 24-hour rest area. We pulled right into the front area and the jeep followed us. I have never been so scared in my entire life. My mom's sister and I got out of the car to go inside and call the police, while my dad tried to defend himself. I'll never forget what I saw. It was a navy blue jeep and had five people inside the jeep. They all had white masks on that had different smiling artwork on them. All five people got out of the car and just stood there, waving at my dad. One of the figures looked like it was holding something, but I honestly couldn't be sure. I still can't believe the luck of what happened next. A patrol car just happened to pull in and the masked people got back in the jeep and drove off. We flagged down the cop and explained what had happened and gave our statement. We ended up staying at the rest stop until dawn and continued with the rest of our trip. I wish I could explain the horror to you of seeing a car full of people with those masks on. Why would they follow us for an entire hour just to scare us? And what would have happened if the patrol car didn't luckily show up? So I might have a different perspective on summer than most of you. I usually hated summer. My parents both worked during the day and left me chores to do every single frickin' day. I hated it. My friends were out doing everything they wanted while I had to do housework and yard work. One particular day I was tasked with painting the spindles on the front porch, which would probably take more than one day to do so. While I was out there painting I heard the loudest noise coming from the street it sounded like someone was rolling a toll chest down the road. 
It was an old guy with a cart that had a bunch of what looked like tools in it. After looking at the cart and putting two and two together, it was a portable cart to sharpen knives. Having some extra cash and thinking I could do something nice for my parents, I flagged the guy down and ran inside and grabbed the knife block to bring the knives out to be sharpened. I told the guy I was doing it for my parents and he just looked at me and whispered, Such a nice boy. He completed the sharpening for me and I gave him the cash and he thanked me and continued down the road, slowly but surely. When my parents got home I could tell they appreciated the gesture, but I think we're more focused on the painting and how well of a job I did. That night I slept in my living room so I could stay up and watch TV without waking my parents up. I had to pause the TV at one point because I thought I had heard a loud noise. I moved the blinds near the couch and looked outside and saw the cart from earlier before. Um, okay? I saw the cart, but no person. My dog could tell something was up, so I let her out back, and as I went to turn the back porch light on and let her out back, I could have sworn I saw someone shuffling behind the garage. I freaked out and woke up my dad and told him what I thought I saw. He looked out front and did see the cart, but when he went behind the garage, he didn't see anything. I went to the side door to make sure the door was locked, and the old man was standing directly against the door. I screamed for my dad, and he ran, and came out and confronted the man. I don't remember exactly what he screamed, but he was screaming like I had never heard him scream before, shouting explosives. He called the cops, and the cops eventually showed up, took statements and took the man away. I think he was charged with trespassing or something along those lines. It's been years since these events have taken place, and the only thing I can still visualize are the spindles on the front porch and the old man's face pressed against the side door when I went to go lock it. I don't think I'll ever forget that image as much as I'd like to. I hope this story spooked a few of you out there, and if not... Maybe it was a good one to fall asleep to. This happened around 2006 when I was in my mid-twenties, and my sister, the unfortunate main character in this story, had just turned 21. At the time, she and her boyfriend lived with my fiancé and I. On weekends, we went out to one of the two bars that had karaoke and air hockey. This particular night, we were at the bar further out from where we lived in the city, a good half an hour by car. Everyone was having drinks, socializing with people we knew. It was one of those places, lots of regulars, singing karaoke. Nothing out of the ordinary, really, except that night my sister started hanging out with these two older ladies who had a liquor store in their purses, and were quite sharing, although I didn't know it at the time. As she tended to drink a lot more than me, that was a score for her, less money spent on drinks, but she ended up far more hammered than usual. Towards the end of the night, around 1.45, she was really drunk. The aforementioned fiancé, my sister's boyfriend and I, were in a heated air hockey game, planning to leave as soon as it was over. She walked up to us and said she was going to smoke a cigarette outside until we were done. About five minutes later, we paid our tab and walked out. 
but she was not on the porch area where smokers congregated. Okay, weird, but not alarming. We went out to the back of the bar to check for her inside, in the restroom and the large parking lot. It is notable that this particular bar was in a business park, so there were multiple businesses that were closed, as well as the Mexican restaurant next door that had just closed as well. We searched, asked everyone that knew us and those who didn't if they had seen her. No one had. I asked the co-workers from the restaurant that were sitting outside as well. They seemed nervous when telling me they hadn't seen her, but I didn't think on that much until later. By then, I was in a full-on panic mode after trying to call her cell about 15 times, only to have it go to voicemail. Being a bit inebriated myself, I started searching for her, went as far as to take off my heels and start running down the highway searching for her, as honestly there had been times she would start walking home in the past, though never from this place as it was so far away from where we lived. The fiancé and her boyfriend thought we should go to the house to see if she got someone to bring her home. It seemed unlikely but not unheard of. We get home and she's nowhere to be found. Just as we were about to head back and I was going to phone the police, I received a call from the police department on my phone. They indicated that they had my sister and there had been an accident and I needed to get down there. We rushed to the police department where we were taken into a room with my sister. Her face was red from obvious crying and bruises were starting to show on her arms and chest. She said that when she told us she was going outside, she thought we said we were leaving then, so she walked to the car. After a few minutes, being drunk and tired, she sat down up against it to wait. A van pulled up and the young man was asking her directions to somewhere. She walked closer to try to explain when suddenly the back door flew open and two other men grabbed her and threw her in, taking off. They were rough with her, hitting her a few times while holding her down, saying they only wanted money. They snatched her purse from her, breaking the straps and searching it, quite haphazardly as they didn't find the $30 she had in it. After driving around a bit speaking in Spanish she couldn't understand and they had pulled out a gun making sure she saw it and put a bandana around her eyes, telling her they'd let her go. She was driven to some woods by a neighborhood she did not know. The door was open and they pushed her out, telling her to run, that if she took the blindfold off or turn around, they'd shoot. She ran and ran. Eventually, she did take the blindfold off and came to the first door she saw, beating on it and screaming for help. The police were called, she was picked up and now we are back to my being there, hearing what I feared had happened. Report filed. Police did a search and did locate the bandana she ripped off, but as she was so intoxicated and terrified, she was not able to give a clear description of the van other than white older model or the three occupants other than young Hispanic men. The investigation turned up nothing as no cameras caught any of this. We even had detectives in our home who said, Look, we need the truth. If you got drunk and just went home with someone and didn't want your boyfriend to find out, we will file charges on you. Aside from the bruises, broken purse, and her trauma, there was nothing concrete to go on. That was unpleasant. I am still fairly convinced someone at the restaurant knew something, 
and given their suspicious behaviors when I asked about her, but the police were never able to find that link. All said and done, the guys were never found. Eventually we just moved on, in different states. It's now just a story in our lives. It still makes me sick, thinking of what could have happened, but thankfully didn't. I was 19 years old and the only female working at a shop specializing in automotive batteries and things of that nature. I had been working there for long enough to realize that most of the clientele was male and oftentimes made for some awkward situations. For instance, I would get talked down to and patronized quite a bit or flirted with to the point where I would be somewhat uncomfortable. I have really thick skin though, so either way I typically wasn't bothered. One day during a particularly busy rush, a very tall and well-built man who was maybe in his mid-thirties came through my line. I considered myself to be pretty good at reading people and this guy had some very, very strange energy. He seemed a little off. However, it was my job to be professional and assist whoever came through my line. I brushed aside this uneasy feeling. I just wanted to ring this guy out and get through the rest of the line that was now trailing out the front door. I greeted him and talked to him as I would any other customer while I was processing his transaction. Things were going fine until he realized I was almost done. He started stalling, making up weird excuses as to why he couldn't use certain credit cards, how he needed me to put this battery on hold and he would be back, etc. I told him I would hold it for him and that he could come back whenever he found the time. I figured he would leave at that point, but he just stood there and stared at me. Now that I think about it, he was more staring through me than at me. I was a bit uneasy, but kept my polite, professional demeanor. Sir, if you're not purchasing anything at the moment, maybe I can ask you to step aside so I can assist other customers? I said. He completely disregarded my question and, in a slow, raspy voice, asked, So, what's your name? I didn't wear a name tag specifically for reasons like this. Thinking quickly, I threw out my nickname. Uh, it's Rhea. Rhea, he said as he kept staring. I just smiled awkwardly and said, Yep, that's me. By this point, my manager had realized what was going on and he proceeded to ask the man to step aside as well. After hearing it from my manager, the man walked to a corner of the store by some shelving and continued to stare while I was ringing the rest of the customers out. A bit of time went by and the line had cleared up, but he was still standing there, staring and now smiling the most sickening smile I think I'd ever seen. It made my skin crawl. Of course, my manager and coworker saw this too, and my coworker grabbed my arm and said, Come on, dude. Let's go out back. As we were walking to the stockroom, my manager asked the man if there was anything else he needed. The man muttered that there wasn't and left. I wish that was the end of it, but of course, he had to come back in to purchase the battery. When he came back the next day, we again had a line. 
He let people go ahead of him and waited until I was free before coming up to the counter to make his purchase. I greeted him again and tried to remain professional, but it was hard considering how creeped out I was. I was again met with the same stare and the same freaky smile. I can't remember the entire conversation, but at this point, the questions he was asking became personal, weird, and inappropriate enough for my coworker to cut in. He looked at the guy and then at me and said, Rhea, go take your break. Before he basically pushed me out of the way of the computer and rang the guy out. I stayed in the back until my manager came and got me, telling me it was safe to come out. We were all pretty creeped out, but thought that that was the end of it. A few days went by and we had all mostly forgotten about this creepy dude until he walked in again. This time, though... He didn't look through the store, didn't approach the counter, didn't say a word to anyone. He just stood, jacked hood pulled up over his head in the corner of the store, staring and smiling. The smile had become even wider and more sinister looking and at this point I actually started to freak out. I started shaking and feeling sick to my stomach. Then my manager cut the horrible tension by pretty much screaming at the guy. Hey! I'm sick of you coming to my store and pulling this. The creep paid him no mind and kept right on staring. This made my manager even more angry and he walked out from around the counter and told the dude, Look man, if you don't quit coming in here and staring at her, I will not hesitate to call the cops. What you're doing is harassment, so you need to get out of my store. At the mention of the police, this dude's smile dropped and... He slowly sauntered out of the store. We never saw him again, but I was immediately taken off closing shifts due to fear that the man would come back and try to catch me when I was alone. I've definitely dealt with my fair share of creeps at that job, but this guy was by far the most disturbing. While in junior high, I had few friends, but was not shy or reclusive, just an average boogerhead. When outside on lunch break, I was walking by the monkey bars. A couple of girls were sitting on the chin-up bars off to the side. As I passed, one of the girls started talking to me. Normal questions. Who are you? What grade? Age? Etc. One of the girls may have spun down or slipped. Anyway, she was hanging upside down by one knee. She locked her other leg in a similar position and turned loose with her hands. Her shirt slid right down and over her head. She was fully exposed since her bra didn't seem to fit right, and everyone was laughing and looking, but no one was helping. No one noticed the tissue I could plainly see. I grabbed her shirt and pulled it up to cover her, helped her get down, and walked with her to the building. I figured, good deed done. Not quite. After school, she was waiting for me. She gave me a hug and then kissed me on the mouth. I pulled back because I do not know this person and I don't want to get involved. I guess she thought I was offended and she asked me, What's wrong? Never been kissed by a girl before? I told her, No, but that was not the problem. She asked what the problem was and I truthfully told her that I don't remember her name and I didn't know her. She laughed and said, Letitia. We said goodbye so I could catch the bus. 
The following Monday, Letitia is waiting for me at lunch. She tells me that she never did thank me for saving her. I told her not to worry about it. It's cool. We walked around the soccer field and then she stops me with her hand and says, My mom wants to meet you. What? I asked her why and she tells me that she told her mom what happened and now she wants to meet me. She goes on to say, She's picking me up, so you can meet her then. We go back to our classes. I never was academically inclined, so now the day just will not move along. School ends and after dragging I meet Letitia. We talk in the parking lot and she gets all happy and says, There's mom. We walk over and her mom gets out of the car and gives me a hug. I'm internally having an anxiety attack. She says how good it is to meet me, how nice I was to have been there for her daughter and then she says, you must come home for dinner. Oh man, what are you talking about? I start making excuses about how my parents don't like me out on school nights. She says, hey don't worry, it's all taken care of, I already called you mom. Dinner, tomorrow night at 6. They get in their car, I get on the bus, cussing phone books. Oh mother, why did you say yes? She replies that it will do me good to meet other people, and girls. I had visions of telling her, oh I've met her alright, seen some stuff too, we even tongue wrestled. The next day just sucks. It takes forever and at the same time it jerks forward at warp speed. Lunch break truly sucked. Letitia had told everyone that I was going to her house for dinner. Oh, and to meet my dad. Great jumping Judas, like seriously, what is happening? I walk back to the building and spend the rest of the school day planning my escape while answering questions about dinner. What's for dinner? The day ends without me having a plan. She walks me to the bus since her mom isn't there yet, and then she kisses me. Even the bus driver sat and watched. I got home, say not one word to anyone and go to my room. My mother pops her head in and tells me to change for my date and goes back to where she came from. She drives me over and says they will bring me home. Oh no, you come get me. I don't know these people. I don't know why I'm going, why I was invited or anything. You come get me mom or I'm not going. She agrees and tells Letitia's mother she will pick me up. They agree on a time and my mom leaves. I meet her three brothers, her two sisters, a cousin, and her grandmother. Everyone was cool. Well, one brother keeps giving me a stink eye, but there's nothing I can do, so I ignore it. I thought maybe, just maybe, I could hang out with the three brothers, even the one with the stink, but that didn't happen. I end up sitting next to Grandma which was cool because Letitia is hovering. After about 15 minutes of nothing conversation, her dad comes home. And this man is huge. He steps up to me as I stand. I think about running, and he smothers my hand in his. He says, So you're the boy who's seen and rescued my daughter's exposed breasts. I died. I stood there and thought I was going to pass out. He asked me a couple of questions that I just nodded and shook my head to. My mind is screaming at me to talk. He says, Take a seat. I did. He spoke for a while, telling me that interracial relationships were difficult at best. 
I can feel my neck twisting around to look at Letitia while he says that, at most, you can expect a little hostility. She walks over and sits above me on the arm of the couch. I'm looking at her dad and then her over and over again. She reaches out and takes my hand. I finally find my words and whisper, What did you tell them? She laughed and said, Just that we're girlfriend and boyfriend. I didn't mention the other thing we did. I'm thinking, You kissed me. Do you think she whispered this? Not a chance. Her dad stops talking and is just looking at us. Her grandmother, having sat right there the whole time, turns and adjusts her seat on the couch so she too can look at us. I'm turning red, embarrassed, yes, but I'm getting angry. Her dad says, What thing? I told him, She kissed me. It came out as an accusation. He looks at me, then he looks at her. Now this, this idiot, this crazy, tissue-wearing fool is going to get it. He takes a deep, slow breath and says, Well, maybe you two will make it. Make what? When the two of you are old enough, and if you still want to, I will give my blessing. I'm red angry. Blessing for what I say? He says, You'll marry my daughter. I'm stunned. I'm having a major brain fart. I snap out of it when she starts sliding down the arm like she's going to land on me. I popped up and bam, out the door. Forget being picked up. I'm running. I get home to an empty house. I go to my room and lay on the bed. The phone rings. I go into the kitchen and answer it. It's my neighbor. He asks if I'm okay and I say I am. He tells me that my mom is out driving the streets looking for me. She got a call that I had left in a rush and everyone was worried. I said I was fine and hung up. I turned on a lamp in the living room to show that someone was home and went to bed. The phone rings again. I return to the kitchen and answer. You will marry my daughter. It was her dad. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing the phone games again. Forget this guy. Sir... I wouldn't marry your daughter for all the tea in China. You will marry my daughter. I don't know what she told you. I don't know if she's crazy or if you are, but I'm not, and I repeat, not marrying her or anyone else. I helped her, and she kissed me. I didn't even know her name. We're not dating, we have never dated, and never will. He got quiet for a bit and then said, is what you just said true? I replied, Yeah, every word. He tells me to watch for his sons until he can come collect them. He then hangs up. The brothers announce themselves with pounding on the door. Oh, it's the whole family and they're all nuts. I start gearing up with multiple sweaters and two pairs of blue jeans. I get my bat ready and walk into the living room. I look out the bay window. They're still there. I look at my dad's gun rack but don't grab one. I know they're all loaded. I do mentally select the weapon I will use if everything does suddenly go insane. Thankfully the banging has stopped. I look out the window again. The neighbor is talking to the brothers. While I watch, 
First my mom pulls into the drive and then their father pulls up. My mom goes and talks to them. I can picture her telling them all to come in. After a minute or two she comes in. Are you okay? Mom, was this some kind of sick joke or prank? She walks over and hugs me and says, No, son, you did a good thing at school. Don't let this stop you from doing the right thing. She continued, I'm sorry, I had no idea. I went to my room where I just sat there. I don't even remember what I was thinking. To this day, almost 40 years later, I just shake my head when this memory returns. This past Friday, I, a 27-year-old male, fell asleep around 8pm after work. When I woke up around 9pm, I decided it was too late to go out, so I made a plan to run to the gym down the street instead for a late night workout. The small all-men's gym is just about a mile down the road. It was empty and dark inside, but the owner had given me the door code to get in. However, for whatever reason, the code was not working and I could not get into the gym. I still wanted to get a workout in, so I decided to just extend my run and head up to the local middle school playground and do some pull-ups on the monkey bars instead. I figured it was better than no workout at all. I got to the block that the middle school was on and began walking down toward the playground. On the way, I passed two young girls walking the opposite way. I would guess they were about 11 to 12 years old. They were silent and looked at me nervously as we passed. Understandably so, as I am a reasonably large man standing at 6 foot 4, and it was almost 10 p.m. at night on an empty street. I live in a little suburban town of about 12,000 people with little crime, it is a dry town and mostly larger residential homes. The town is only two miles across and has a very safe family feel. Most of the residents are upper class families here to take advantage of the great school system. Despite the reputation of safety the town has, I thought it was much too late and dark out for these young girls to be wandering the streets alone, as creeps can show up anywhere, anytime, something I would soon enough witness to be true. I hope they are heading home, I thought to myself. I then got to the playground attached to the middle school. The playground is on the corner of the block with an alley leading to a parking lot behind the school, separating the playground from the local high-speed line going into the nearby city about 10 miles away. The high-speed line is built underground with an open top and high walls topped off with a chain-link fence to keep pedestrians from falling in. There is a bridge that crosses the tracks below and then another street on the other side of the tracks from the school, running parallel to the rails with one way going into the downtown business district and the other way going into a residential neighborhood. The young girls turn onto the street going toward the neighborhood away from downtown. I did one set of pull-ups on the monkey bars and was resting when I noticed a white pickup truck with the headlights cut and a raised cab with blacked out windows covering the bed of the pickup truck moving slowly past the middle school in the same direction the girls were going moments before. I found this very suspicious, and even more so once the truck stopped directly in front of the playground, almost as though the driver and passenger was checking it out. I stared at the truck wondering what was going on when I then noticed that there was a man walking about 
twenty feet behind the truck in the same direction. As he passed the stopped truck, the window of the truck rolled down and I could see there were two men in the truck. I clearly saw the man walking, looking over, and made a keep-going-forward hand signal to the driver and passenger, which followed his directions and started moving again, creeping slowly along with the headlights cut just as they were before. I watched as they crossed the tracks and saw the man on foot go right on the parallel road along the tracks toward downtown, while the truck went left on the same street toward the residential neighborhood in the same direction the young girls had gone less than three minutes before. What did I just witness? I thought to myself as I tried to make sense of what I had just seen. To me, that the truck and man on foot were following the young girls, stopped at the playground to see if they were there, and kept going when they only saw me doing pull-ups. I felt sick to my stomach. I tried to think of what else these men could have been up to. Looking for a lost dog? No, I mean, they weren't calling out, and were driving much too slowly. Making a drug deal, maybe. But what kind of a drug deal goes down at a fairly well-lit school area? Also, the man on foot signaling the truck forward and then going opposite ways down the next cross street didn't make sense for a deal. In my head, I thought, at best, what I saw was some kind of deal. At worst, it was predators stalking two young girls in hopes of abducting them. I decided to follow the man on foot to find out. I followed him as he walked along the wall separating the sidewalk from the tracks below. On the other side of the street was a church and some office buildings. He was walking slowly and texting someone on his phone. I turned around and saw that the truck had stopped again about two blocks up the road in the opposite direction. The man on foot then completely stopped as I approached him. I couldn't be sure as to whether he realized I was following him, so I approached him in the most casual way possible. The man, looked to be in his early thirties, stood about 5'10 with a slouch and had curly hair with a noticeable scar going down the side of his head through his hair. For the moment I began speaking to this man I could tell he was very nervous. The way he acted and talked made me even more suspicious up until the conclusion of our conversation. Admittedly my adrenaline was going so I don't remember the conversation word for word but below is how it went down. Hey, what's up man, what are you doing? Not much, just hanging out. Just hanging out, huh? Well, where are you going? Just going on a walk. I saw you signal that uh, sketchy truck back by the playground. It was kind of weird. What's up with that? Nothing at all. I just waved to them as I walked by. You didn't just wave to them. I saw you make a hand signal for them to keep going. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know them. I'm not stupid. I clearly saw you signal to them. I know that you know them. Just tell me what you really were doing out here because that was very suspicious. I'm not up to anything. Walk and talk with me about it. No, stop. Tell me where you're up to right now. You're acting very suspicious and it's making me nervous. I know you're up to something, so just tell me the truth. I don't care if you're buying drugs. I, I do them myself as well. I, listen, I, I'm a good Christian man, I swear. He pointed to the church behind me across the street. I didn't ask what your religion was or whether you're a good person. I asked, 
what you and that sketchy truck are up to. Now do you want to tell me or should I call the police and have them come and ask you? You can call the police. I'm not up to anything. Just leave me alone, please, man. I'm, you're scaring me. The man then turned and started walking away again, faster this time. I admit that I was quite angry at this point, as I knew I was clearly being lied to and this guy was definitely up to no good. I push him, not very hard, with one arm to get him to stop. The dude loses his balance and almost falls over but then immediately starts sprinting away from me down the street, turns the corner, and then continues to sprint into the downtown business district, passing right by the few other pedestrians on the street. There was no reason for me to chase him, so I lost sight of him as he ran away. I look back, and the truck down the road that was stopped at the beginning of the conversation was gone. I then take out my cell phone and call the non-emergency police line to report everything I had seen. The police thanked me and sent a patrol car to the area by the middle school. When I told my girlfriend about what had happened, she was very upset with me for following and confronting the man. However, after what I saw, I am still convinced that I witnessed three men stalking the young girls with the intent to do them harm. I cannot come up with any other explanation as to what I could have possibly been going on. Seeing how nervous the man was talking to me, paired with how he lied and then took on running, only further convinced me of what I saw. I followed my gut instinct and took action. I would do it all again, however, I would have called the police before confronting the man myself if I could redo the whole thing. My girlfriend's concern was for my safety, although I was much bigger than the man and made sure he was at least an arm's length away from me at all times, he could have been armed, so I understand my girlfriend's concern. At the very least, I hope that I thwarted a possible crime. And for the creep that ran away from me, stay away from those girls. I've come to the conclusion that I am a magnet for creepy encounters, crazies, and potentially dangerous situations, probably because I can be incredibly naive. But regardless, let me share you my most recent crazy encounter which happened just before my much-needed vacation to Arizona. For starters, I would say I am a fairly attractive female. Blonde hair, blue eyes, about 5'2 and 125 pounds, so not super tiny, but definitely not very big either. I also can't seem to tell when people are generally being nice to me or if they're flirting as I'm super oblivious, which may be the cause for what transpired. I won't disclose exactly where I work, but I will say that I work at a warehouse and club that you have to have a membership in order to do your shopping. Specifically, I work in the membership department, so I deal with new signups, questions, issues with memberships, credit cards, angry members who demand they speak with the manager, or who just want to complain at you even though you have no control over a policy. As part of the member service department, we are expected to always be super happy-go-lucky friendly and helpful. Granted, our entire company is dedicated to making our members happy, but the membership desk is supposed to be the Disneyland of the warehouse. With the member once, we will bend over backwards to try and make it happen, which can lead to some entitled jerks when they can't get their way and some incredibly scary encounters. 
for reference on just how crazy it can be, I had one coworker get screamed at by a man twice her size because he was removed from the membership which led to several other members getting involved, a man who was the epitome of a serial killer and terrified members, a manager who was pushed by an angry member, and another member following me around the store because she was mad that I only refunded her half her money, like I was told to do by my manager, but that's a story for another time, just to name a few. But most of the time, members are pretty nice about situations that arise. My department is pretty closely knit, and despite us getting fairly competitive with our benchmark numbers, we're always there for each other and have the others back, which I think becomes pretty important later on down the road for this story. One day as I was working, I have a gentleman come up with an issue about his membership and credit card. The guy, who I'll refer to as Chris, was probably about six foot two to three, average build, with dark hair, dark eyes, and a beard. He didn't seem to give off any creepy vibes and was very polite as he tells me what the problem was. Apparently, as he was trying to fill his bike up with gas, his membership and credit card wasn't being read properly. He explains that he comes into town maybe once or twice a week, and he really only stops at our store to fill up his tank. He also said that the card has his name on it, but it had his mom's membership number and her membership picture in the back, but that he is on her membership as her household member. I asked to see his card and driver's license, which he hands over, and I type in the membership number to pull it up on our system. I continue to have a pretty decent conversation with him, as well as joke how I was always the person to get weird and interesting issues with cards. Chris laughs and, after a moment, points beside me and tells me that he knows one of my other co-workers, Tim, as they used to work together at a fast food restaurant, and if he ever gives you trouble, let me know, he said. I just laugh and brush it off, thinking it's just some sort of inside joke between Tim and Chris, and continue to search through the membership. Turns out, Chris isn't anywhere on the membership, nor does it appear as though he was ever on the membership at all, or any other memberships either. Pretty weird stuff, so I call over a supervisor and show her the system and explain the situation to her. All the while, continue to crack jokes and have friendly banter with Chris while he waits. She says his best bet would be to call the credit card company we're partnered with and figure out what happened to put his name on a credit card tied to his mom's membership. He says he can do that, then asks if there's any way he can still get gas. The supervisor says sure and tells me to call the gas station to let the attendant know Chris was coming down and that he needed some help getting the gas. I tell the attendant when he answers the phone that Chris would be coming down with a motorcycle to get gas, briefly tell him what happened with his membership, then let the attendant know he's okay to get gas today. He just needs help getting it. The attendant says okay. I hang up and Chris thanks me after telling me that my name was very beautiful and unique. I thank him, tell him to have a good day, and he leaves. I figured that was that, right? Wrong. Fast forward a couple of days. I'm closing the membership desk with Tim, and I'm not entirely sure how we got onto the topic, but Chris comes up in our conversation. Tim asks if I remember Chris, and after a little description I say, Oh, Chris, the guy with a really weird situation with the credit card and his mom's membership, right? Tim says yeah and tells me something that made me uncomfortable. 
When he went outside for his break an hour or so after Chris had supposedly left, he ran into Chris hanging out by the front entrance. He says Chris flagged him down and after sharing some brief pleasantries, Chris starts acting a little twitchy and nervous and says, Hey, uh, remember that girl who was helping me with my credit card? What's, what's her name? She's cute. Is she single? I think she's got a thing for me and I wanted to ask her out. Tim then goes on to tell me that after he told Chris that I wasn't single, Chris became visibly upset, muttered something under his breath, and stormed off. Tim also told me, Even if you were single, I still would have told him that you weren't. He's not that good of a guy. Dude's got some issues. Upon hearing this, my first reaction is to laugh nervously and brush off what Tim said as just a weird reaction. But on the inside, I'm freaking out. I read too many stories and have watched too many crime shows to not think the worst, and I've had my fair share of insane encounters over the years to always be on edge. But I assure myself that nothing will come out of the situation, and I was just working myself up over nothing. And it was true. For a few days. Cut to Saturday, one of the busiest days for retail shopping, Membership and refunds are fairly busy with anywhere between 5 to 15 minute intervals without members to give us downtime to clean, file paperwork, etc. I'm having a pretty good day, just shooting the breeze with my coworkers and trying to be on top of everything. Since it was at a slow period, we were running breaks and our supervisor was doing some office work so it was just me, Addie, Rick, who was filling up the kiosk, and Emmy who was working on the returns that were trickling in. I was having a conversation with Addie and organizing the returns when I hear someone yelling at me from behind. Hey! Hey, hey, hey! I'm talking to you, hey! I vaguely recognize the voice, but it's only when I turn around to look at who's shouting at me that I know who it is, and my heart drops into my stomach. Standing in front of me is Chris, who looks angry and disheveled, He's standing as close to the counter as he can, glaring at me with a menacing look. Hoping maybe he just needs some help and it's nothing serious, I plaster on my friendly customer service smile and walk over to the computer closest to where he was standing. Hey Chris, uh, what can I do for you? You got another weird situation you need me to take a look at? I force out a laugh, but he doesn't even crack a smile. Instead, he points his finger at me and when he speaks... His voice is this super low murmur that only added to the creepiness, menacing factor. You lied to me. By now, Addie seems to sense my discomfort and stands to the computer next to me, pretending to be working on something while listening in on the conversation. I tell Chris, I'm sorry, what do you mean? Did the bank not figure out the issue? He shakes his head and says that that isn't the problem. I asked him what the problem is, and he says, You. You're the problem. You led me on. I'm sure my confusion is visible, and Addie and I exchange a glance. She subtly gestures if she should get a manager, and I subtly tell her no before I turn my attention back to him. I ask what he means by that, and he states that I let him on when I knew he was flirting with me because I was flirting back despite having a boyfriend, and that it was a real terrible thing for me to do. I say, I'm 
very sorry if it seemed that way, but I wasn't flirting with you. I was just being polite. I didn't realize you were flirting with me. I'm... I'm sorry. He starts to become more upset, pulling at his hair, rubbing his face, and says, No. You did know, and you were just pulling me along. I'm not someone to be messed with like that, and you're going to regret messing with me. At this point, Rick had just come back from the kiosk, and Addie was quietly filling him in on the situation away from me and Chris so that they wouldn't be overheard. Rick, who's a Navy veteran and a pretty large guy at about six foot one and heavy set, is watching Chris closely, and when Chris starts to seem threatening, he puts himself into the conversation. Rick asks Chris if there's a problem, but Chris ignores him and continues to berate me. While I stay quiet, too scared to speak. He calls me some stuck-up wench who's probably with some a-hole if I even was with someone. Typical nice guy, am I right? And that I could have had it all if I had just given him a chance. He continues to tell me that I wasted that chance the moment I let him on, and that he was going to make me pay. Chris then reaches over the counter and tries to grab my arm or slap me or something, but Rick pushes me to the side away from Chris, and Addie is on the radio calling for a supervisor or manager to please come to the membership desk now. I remember seeing a front-end supervisor running from the cashier line to where the membership desk was, and I remember panicking, thinking that Chris might have a gun, and what if he tried to hurt someone with it? Meanwhile, as I'm worrying about what could happen, Rick is telling Chris he needs to calm down and not speak to me that way. Chris then loses it and starts slapping his hand on the table and pointing at me, saying that I am a problem and he has every right to speak to me that way because I was being a twat. The supervisor finally shows up as Chris continues to spew crude insults at me. And the supervisor, after realizing Chris was yelling at me and seeing how upset I was, quietly tells me to take my break before radioing for someone else to help at membership and asking Chris what the problem was. I start to leave and Chris starts to follow me, while Rick and the supervisor start following Chris to stop him. I feel myself on the verge of a panic attack and start speedwalking while Chris continues to shout at me, and then he pushes me. I manage to catch myself on the battery display and Rick and the supervisor catch up to him and attempt to detain him as best they could, and Addie makes another page to call for warehouse manager and to our security guard while passerbys watch the whole situation go down. The supervisor tells me to go, and this time I run to the break room, where I have a complete breakdown, shaking and crying and unable to breathe as other employees on the break ask if I'm okay and try to help out. After maybe ten minutes, when I had just started to calm down, one of the warehouse managers, Lena, and the security guard come in and ask if I can go with them into the office. I follow, and we go into the GM and AGM's office and shut the door. They tell me to sit down, and after they ask if I'm okay and ask what happened, to which I told them the entirety of the story, they tell me that Chris got away. I'm too shocked to ask anything other than how, and they explain that not long after I left and right before they arrived at the membership desk, Chris managed to get out of the hold he was in and ran to the closed door beside the exit, which he pushed open to avoid the crowd and set off the alarm that Lena had to shut off and then booked it to the parking lot. 
They spent the next five or so minutes trying to locate him, but he was gone, and there are no cameras outside the warehouse to try and capture his license plate or anything else. And because of his strange membership situation and because we only had his first name and a description of what he looked like, there was no way we could pull him up in the system to notify authorities. The only thing we did have was a grainy video of him getting hostile at the desk, following and pushing me, then assaulting Rick by elbowing them in the face and pushing the supervisor back, which wouldn't be difficult since Chris was about a head taller and was larger than the supervisor to eventually get away. I was livid that he escaped, but also terrified, and the feeling of fear only escalated when Lena said, We want you to know that he threatened he'd be back. They offered to have a fellow co-worker walk with me to my car at the end of my shift, which I was more than thankful for, and that they would have lock security be more vigilant in making sure no one strange came by our store when we were closed until the whole situation was either solved or died down. There was nothing more I could do, and the most my work could do was to keep on the lookout for Chris and alert others if he came into the store again. I felt powerless, and I still feel powerless. Always being on edge and on the lookout for Chris is driving me crazy, and I'm so paranoid I'll somehow run into him I avoid going places. The walk to and from my car before and after every shift is terrifying because I don't know if Chris is watching me, and if I think a vehicle has been following me for too long I make random turns until I lose them. I'm scared Chris is going to come back to the store or find me when I'm alone and do something awful. The only piece I found was when I left the state for a week for a trip, but even then I was still a little paranoid he managed to follow me. I keep a pocket knife close by anywhere I'm at, and I'm planning on getting my concealed weapons permit just to feel safer. Does that... does that make me crazy? This happened about 15 years ago. At the time, I was dating around, and I had a few creepy encounters during that time, but this guy takes the cake. He was an acquaintance my brother had met in a bar a few times and was showing around the local area because he was new to the country. My brother set us up because he was apparently desperate for a girlfriend, and I guess I was pretty desperate too because we went on a date together. That date was probably the worst first date I've ever been on. I showed up to the restaurant we were meeting at. He was late, which isn't a huge deal, so I let it slip and we went to sit down. To be honest, I knew from the start I wasn't really attracted to him, but I thought I would be polite and see if we had a nice night. He started off politely too. He held the door for me, pulled my seat out. It wasn't really necessary, but it was nice anyway. Then, when we were sitting down waiting for someone to come and take our orders... I was reading the menu and he started talking about how much his fiance would have liked this place. That took me by surprise and naturally I asked about his fiance. He revealed that he had a fiance before moving over here, but he had just left her to move to another country. I asked why they had broken up and he said they never really broke up as such, but he got fed up of her nagging him about various things and just moved away. I really didn't know what to say after that, so I changed the subject and started asking him more about himself and where he used to live. He wasn't really very forthcoming. Eventually, our waiter turned up and started talking to us. 
To clarify for the next part, our waiter was a man of color and he had an unusual accent for our area. So my date stares blankly at him for a while, then turns to me and says, Do you understand this guy? I said that yes, I could understand him before telling him our orders. After he left, my lovely date continued to shock me. He said, I wouldn't normally leave ordering to the lady, but that brown guy talked really weird and I didn't get it. Wow, way to tell me you're a racist and sexist in one breath, dude. Again, I was speechless for a few moments before I got angry with him. I don't remember exactly what I said. It was something along the lines of, well, I'm not a lady, so I can order for myself just fine, thanks. And why make racial remarks? Then he got annoyed with me and told me he wasn't being racist. He just wasn't used to that kind of person where he was from. I pointed out that he wouldn't have met me if he just stuck to people he was used to in his own country. He did calm down then and told me that he wouldn't want that because he's glad to have met me. Honestly, I found that a little weird given that I didn't see any way to say that this date was going well and he didn't know me very well at all. But I decided since we had ordered, I should stay, get my meal, and try to redeem the evening before I leave and never see this man ever again. So I answered some of his questions about me, basic getting to know me and small talk stuff for the most part, then started on about previous dates. If I was a virgin, whether I would be willing to wait until marriage and then be submissive to my husband or not. It was at this point I realized that I was most likely on a date with a religious bigot, hence the misogyny, weird attitude to sexual stuff and all his other closed-minded nonsense. So I settled for a none of your business, now I need to leave. I checked the prices on the menu and left money for half of the food, plus a tip on the table and got up to leave. He said he didn't see why I was being unreasonable with him, as though this had been a normal date, and then told me that I couldn't expect him to take my money because that was an insult to him. Fine, dude. If you want to pay for a meal that's not even getting eaten, you pay for it. I'm not that mad about spending my money that I'll stop you. So I took my money back and walked straight out. I just assumed that yes, it was an awful evening, but I wouldn't have to see him again. I wasn't even back to my house when my brother started texting me, asking me where I was because my date had called him in tears saying I had gone off for no reason and he didn't know where I was or what to do. Thankfully, my brother was pretty calm about it and assumed that I had left for a reason. I explained everything to him and he was pretty surprised too. After that night, we both tried to cut contact. My brother stopped meeting with the guy and we both blocked the Facebook account we had for him too. My brother also blocked his number because he would not stop texting him about me, alternating between being really worried about me to saying he had hoped I dropped dead. Then he started making endless different accounts on social media to harass us. He told my brother he didn't know why we weren't talking to him. He posted a bunch of weird posts describing me in detail before going on to call me a lot of horrible names. We kept blocking them and moving on. Then the harassment got worse. He either found me and followed me at some point, or got my address from a friend and turned up one day, standing around outside my house, asking to come in and speak to me. When I refused to let him in, he grabbed my arm to prevent me from going in either and started to tell me that he didn't want to let me go because I would never find a man who would love me like he did, and that if I walked away from him again, 
I would regret it one day when I was old and lonely. He went on and on like this for ages and ages while I tried to pull my arm away from him. Before I got fed up of this and yelled at him to get off of me and leave me alone, and kicked him in the shin. He let go of my arm but cursed at me and said I was being ungrateful to him. But I took my opportunity to run inside and lock my door. He started banging on my door, then trying to push it inwards. I was getting both upset by this man and just super fed up of his presence in my life, so I grabbed my phone and called the police, telling them that someone was trying to get into my house. I was told someone would be with me soon, but 20 to 30 minutes later there was no sign of them anywhere and I was getting quite upset because this man was forcing my door and I thought the lock was going to break soon. So I called my brother who lives nearby just because I knew he would come even though I wasn't sure if he would be able to help much. About 15 minutes later my brother turns up and after a brief conversation I didn't quite hear outside, the pressure was gone off the door. I waited a few minutes and then texted my brother to see what was going on and if it would be alright to look outside again. He didn't reply and the next thing I heard was the police turning up. I went out to see what was going on. Apparently after my initial call they had received another call from my neighbors saying that there were two men fighting on my lawn. I guess this was my brother and the guy since my brother looked out of breath and pretty shook up and the guy wasn't around anymore. My brother explained to the police that he had tried to stop the man getting into the house and then the man had hit him. I told my side of the story and some of the other neighbors were asked what they had seen and were able to tell them about his attempts to get in. Plus, there were marks on the other side of the door where he had tried repeatedly to get in. The police went to look for him and a few weeks afterwards I was called and told they thought they had found him but when they wanted me to take a look at the suspected person, it wasn't the same man. I didn't hear anything else and I don't know what happened to him. I didn't see him again and so I'm probably safe after what has now been 15 years. Regardless, I don't ever want to see him again. At my college, our student IDs are pretty much essential to have. They get you into all of the academic buildings and get you all your food on the meal plan. I had lost mine and was forced to go get a new one. I went to the security desk and told the security guard that I lost my ID and needed a new one made. He said, No problem, just uh, come with me while I print you a new one. He was older, if I had to guess I would say about 65, but in very good shape. Definitely over 6 foot and you could tell he was attractive when he was younger. He had curly gray hair, very well kept, and ice blue eyes. We went to the back security room in the main student commons building. It was a room that was a little ways back, but still had a good amount of food traffic going by it. I walked in and sat on the couch that was across from the desk. When he walked in, he closed the door. He went on the computer at the desk and asked me all my information, student ID number, name, birthday, class year. When he pulled up my account, he saw my picture that is used for my ID. He asked me if I wanted a new picture taken for the new ID, and I said, No, I'm good, because I don't like my picture taken, but also I looked a mess because I wasn't expecting to need a new picture taken. He then said, Well, your picture is very good. You look pretty. Most are bad. 
I laughed and said thank you and told him I was a senior in high school and got that taken at orientation almost three years ago, as I was a senior now. And he responds, Well, you must have always been pretty. I started to feel weird then, but this is a security officer at my college and it's known for having great security. He then said that the computer wasn't letting him print one without taking a new picture since it was so old. He told me, If you need to get a new ID, it makes you get a new picture after two years because people can change in looks and we need to make sure it's you and have good information. Okay, you just asked me if I wanted a new one but are now telling me I need a new one. I found this weird because I thought if that was the case, he would have known that in the beginning, but again, he's a security officer and I needed this stupid ID. I said okay, and he said he would set everything up. He went into a closet within this security room and got out a camera on a tripod and told me to stand up against the wall. I did and smiled. He told me I needed to take my hair out of the bun because the hair needed to be down for the picture ID. Okay, but... I didn't think much of this either, as I had never seen a girl's ID without their hair down, which I now realize is just preference. He took a picture and said my eyes were closed. I laughed because my eyes are closed in 9 out of 10 pictures I take, another reason I don't like my picture taken. He said, it's fine, I don't mind taking a couple. He then came over and told me my hair looked awkward, so he was going to fix it for me so I liked the picture better. He fixed my hair and I pulled my head back and said, It's good, I really don't care, no one's going to look at it. He rolled his eyes and said, Whatever, it's your picture, but it would look better if I fixed it. Again, I said, It's fine, don't worry, just trying to be polite. After then, the next picture, I saw a clock on the wall and realized I only had ten minutes before class. I said, you can just use whatever one I don't have my eyes closed in because I have to be in class in 10 minutes, so I kind of have to go. He responds, Your professor isn't going to get mad at you if you say you were getting an ID from security and it took a while. At this point, I realized I had been in there for over 20 minutes, and I wasn't nervous, but more so sick of being there and wanted out. He then told me they'd take a few minutes to print and just wait on the couch. He then talked to me, asking me what my major is, if I had a boyfriend. I do, so I said yes. He asked me how long we had been dating and said, Oh, you know guys in college are no good. They'll just waste your time. You should break up with them and find someone older and more mature. Whatever, dude, just give me my ID. I didn't respond to that and just said, Okay, well, I'm gonna go and because I don't want to be late for class, so would I be able to pick it up? at the desk maybe after class he huffed and then said what a rush you're in but it should be ready now hold on he then went back from the desk to the back of the room where the printer was and grabbed my ID he said wow the picture is even better I'm a pretty good photographer if I do say so myself and winked he kept holding the ID not handing it to me I was annoyed at this point, but am really bad at being assertive. I said, I'm sorry, I really have to go. And he laughed and said, Okay, okay. I would think a senior wouldn't be nervous about being a little late. Then he handed me the ID. I basically snatched it out of his hands and he said, 
Well, I'll walk you out because you aren't supposed to be back here without a security guard. I wouldn't want you getting in trouble. I'm thinking, oh my god, just let me go. So he walked me out and I said thanks and basically ran out of the building. I'm not gonna lie. I thought he was weird and flirty, but I had never needed to get an ID made before, so I just thought that's how the process was and that he was just a little too flirty with the situation, so I never said anything to anyone. With three weeks left of school, I somehow managed to lose my ID again. I had been borrowing my boyfriend's because I was super busy at the end of the year and I just thought, I really don't have a half hour to spare to get a new ID. Finally, my boyfriend got annoyed with me using his meal plan and always having his ID and he said, you need to go get a new one, it only takes like five minutes tops. I said, no it doesn't, it took like a half an hour, I don't have time for that. He asked me what I was talking about and I told him what happened and he responds, no, that's that's not at all okay, you need to report that. I said I didn't care enough to, but I asked him to come with me to get a new ID. When I went to get the new one, it was a different security guard and he said, yeah, no problem, just wait here, I'll be back in a minute. Not even five minutes later, he was back with a new one made. I told him what happened last time and he looked very concerned. He asked who the security guard was. I didn't know his name, but I described him. He gave me the name and office of the head security guard and told him he would call and tell them I was coming over. I went and talked to the head security officer and he told me what happened was not at all protocol and he looked in the system and saw over 30 pictures taken of me. He reported it to higher-ups. I had to go in and speak to a group of three people in administration and let me know that he was fired and would not be allowed on campus again and to notify them if I see him. I know it doesn't sound that crazy like most of the stories on here and I really didn't feel like I was in danger, but I think I was too naive to feel that at the time. I trusted every security guard but I have no idea what his intentions were. When I was a junior in college, I took a modern American literature course under a professor who I would call Dr. H., her class took place right after the lunch period, so many of her students would come into the classroom looking like they were ready for a nap. Dr. H sympathized with us, so before she started the day's lecture, she would tell us an interesting story in hopes of waking us up a bit. Usually her stories were tidbits about the author we were studying that day. Some stories were more successful than others in getting our attention, but there was one story she told that got everyone's attention. She said that the story was a little long, but she thought that we would find it interesting because, as she put it, the devil is in the details. Dr. H. was a senior in college at the time this story took place. She shared a room with another senior who I would call S. They had both spent the day reading and working on papers for the week ahead, only breaking once to eat some sandwiches while listening to the radio. At about 8pm, Dr. H and S decided to reward themselves with the rest of the night off. Dr. H had a novel that she had been dying to read while S wanted to treat herself to some cocktails. S told Dr. H that she would only be gone for an hour tops. 
She then said in a joking manner, If I'm not back in two hours, make sure the police find my body at least. S decided to have a cocktail or two at the bar that was popular with her classmates because it was so close to campus. She sat down at the bar and ordered a dry martini. She didn't notice that she was seated right next to a man until she looked up from her glass and was greeted with a smile. The man tipped his tumbler at her and said, Hello. S was immediately embarrassed, especially because there was an empty seat to her right. She was about to move to the other seat, feeling as if though she had violated one of the unspoken rule of bars. But before she could get out of her seat, the man said, Hey, you don't have to move, if you don't want to. I like the company. The man extended his hand to S and introduced himself as Chris. He said that he worked in construction and was renting a room in the area. He asked S what she was studying and she told him she was a psychology major. Chris's eyes lit up and, to S's surprise, he began to talk about Freud and Jung. She told him she had to do an experiment for her final project and he asked her which method she would be using, an observational study or a survey. She told him that she wanted to make a link between lack of empathy and the potential for criminal behavior. She told him that she wanted to do an observational study, something similar to Milgram's controversial studies, but based on posing scenarios rather than shock experiments. Chris shook his head. You should do a survey instead. S pointed out that people could lie on a survey without thinking twice about it, but that it was a lot harder to lie to someone's face. Chris chuckled. Sweetheart, a psychology professor could look at a student, the same student, for three years and never have an inkling that the kid killed his mother and had her buried in his backyard. People can lie to your face if they want to keep it secret bad enough, but a true sicko can't refuse the chance to show his true colors on a survey. Because that guy, that guy wants to shock you. S listened as Chris argued that Jack the Ripper's letters proved his point. But she had already decided that though Chris knew some things about psychology, his lack of knowledge was beginning to show. Nevertheless, S still appreciated how passionate Chris was helping her make the right decision regarding her project. She eventually told Chris that she would bring up all of the good points he had made to her professor and this seemed to satisfy him. Though S was attracted to men her own age, Chris had a certain appeal. He was not bad looking for an older man and most importantly, he was easy to talk to. Over the course of 45 minutes, they had talked about various subjects including psychology, politics and places Chris had traveled while working various construction jobs. In all that time, Chris had not hit on S once. If Chris was trying to seduce her, he was being admirably patient in his approach. He did offer to buy S another martini when she finished her first, and though S would have normally said no to the offer, she felt so comfortable around Chris that she let him buy her a drink. While she had carefully nursed her first martini, S quickly drained her second, and without asking permission first, Chris bought her another. S didn't mind because she wanted to spend some more time with Chris. It pleased her that Chris seemed to have no expectations for anything in return for his generosity. S's attention quickly turned momentarily from Chris to the television behind the bartender. 
The newscaster was giving a preview for the evening's news, which included a story about a fatal car accident that had occurred earlier that morning. S told Chris that she had heard about the accident on the radio that afternoon. She said that she felt terrible because a whole family had lost their lives in the head-on crash. Chris replied, I wonder if anyone was beheaded. <laughs> then chuckled. She was stunned by his sudden change. It was like an invisible mask had quietly slipped off of Chris's face to reveal the true man underneath. S. had an urge to leave the bar, but the psychology major in her was intrigued. She had read about inappropriate affect and emotional personality disorders, but she had never met someone who displayed any of those characteristics before. Any desire that she had to sleep with Chris was now over but she thought that he might be an interesting story to share with her fellow psychology majors. S continued to listen as Chris started talking in graphic detail about some of the accidents that he had seen at construction sites, including one guy whose hand and wrist had gotten pulled into a cement mixer, and another guy who fell four stories from scaffolding and wound up a twisted mess on the rubble below. The whole time he was talking about his fellow co-workers being maimed or killed on the job, Chris was smiling and giggling. S tried not to show her disgust, but when Chris followed up a story of one of his co-workers being impaled by a rebar by inviting S to his room for some real drinks, S suddenly remembered that she had told her roommate she would be back in an hour. Chris's face was suddenly indifferent. Not angry or sad, but more cold and expecting. Most men would have tried to turn on the charm in hopes of salvaging the night with a potential conquest, but Chris had already caught the eye of a blonde that had just walked into the bar. S said goodnight. Chris gave her a little wave, but said nothing. When S finally arrived back to her room, S apologized for being late. She told Dr. H that she had been talking with a man. Dr. H smiled at the news and said, so what was he like? S replied, He was interesting, but not in a good way. Early that morning, Dr. H was woken by a pounding sound on the door. She heard the RA shouting on the other side of the door, Hey, wake up! The campus is on lockdown! Dr. H had to shake S awake. They went outside to the hallway and saw the other occupants on the floor standing in nightgowns and pajamas, crying, whispering, or just looking dazed and confused. The RAs looked panic as they spoke to each other in whispers. Dr. H learned through various conversations that multiple girls had been brutally attacked on campus just moments ago. Police believed that the killer could still be on the campus. No one in the dorm and at the moment knew the extent of what had just taken place. Later that morning, each girl in the dorm was asked if they had seen anyone strange that night. For a moment, S thought of Chris, but she told herself more than likely that Chris was with a woman right now. S told the officer no and thought nothing more about it. When a news report finally broke a month later showing that the campus killer had been apprehended, there was a collective sigh of relief and a few loud cheers from the young woman gathered around the television. Dr. H smiled, but when she turned to look at S, her roommate was staring at the television. Her eyes were wide and her face looked pallid. S said, I think I'm going to throw up.
It was not until two years later when Dr. H., who had just finished her master's degree, and S., who was now a law student, were having brunch that the subject of that horrifying night was brought up again. Dr. H. said that S. suddenly looked like she was not feeling too good. Dr. H. asked S. what was wrong. There was a pause as S. took a sip of her orange juice. Dr. H. could see that S.'s hand was shaking, and S. finally spoke. That night at the bar, if Chris had asked me to go to his room 30 minutes into our conversation, I would have gladly have gone. S began to tear up. She then added, I wonder, I wonder if I would even be here right now. The man S had drinks with that night was Ted Bundy. I grew up in a small town in Norway. There was mostly horrible people there, including some of the teachers that worked at my school. I had just started in fifth grade. I was already sick of school, but trying to be positive, we got introduced to our new teachers. Let's call my gym teacher Jake. I was a chubby girl, so I hated gym. Not because I got tired, but because I had to change and shower with the other girls, so I went to Jake and said I will change when the other girls had left, which... He said was fine. The gym class was over and I waited for the other girls to leave. After they left, I took my clothes off and went into the shower. When I was going to get dressed, I saw Jake standing right behind me. I jumped and he looked at me and smiled. I grabbed my towel real fast and wrapped it around my body. He kept staring at me and the further down his eyes went, the more he smiled. I felt really uncomfortable and asked what he wanted. His smile disappeared and he looked at me and said he didn't want anything. He was about to leave when he said, Hurry up, and squeezed my shoulder and left. Then there was the next gym class. This time he came in and looked at me in the shower. I didn't notice until I was done. He stared me down and I asked, Can you just please move? He shook his head, and that's when I started to feel very scared. He stared at my chest, and I kept telling him to move. After a while, I tried to push him, and then he grabbed my arm and said, Hey, bad girls get punished. He slapped me and grabbed me. I screamed and told him to stop. He left, and I was so scared that I threw up. I looked in the mirror to see that my cheek was really red and you could see his hand printed on my face. At that time I wasn't really sure about what just happened so I was in shock. My friend Jamie came and looked at my face. She grabbed my shoulder and asked hysterically, What happened? I tried to hold my tears back. She kept asking over and over to which I responded, I don't, I don't want to talk about it, okay? I didn't live too far away from school, so I went home, still scared and shaking. My mom is really sick, so she can't work and that means she was home. I ran into my room before my mom saw me and started bawling. After a while, my mom came in and asked in an angry tone, Why are you home now? I didn't answer, so she walked in and saw my face. Oh my god, what happened? I got up and 
hug my mom as I kept crying. After I calmed down, she sat down with me and asked again what had happened. I told her everything. She was livid. She wanted to go to the police, but I just wanted him away from the school. I was already scared and said I wouldn't tell the police, so we went to school to tell the principal. I didn't see him at school anymore and that made me happy. Until about two months later I got a text saying, Hi sexy. I thought maybe one of my classmates was pranking me so I ignored it. I kept doing my homework and then I got more messages. How are you sexy? I was uncomfortable and replied, Who's this? After five minutes I got a new text saying his name. It felt like I was going to throw up. Back then I couldn't block numbers, or at least I didn't know how to. A few weeks had passed and I was still getting messages from Jake, but now I completely ignored his messages and the more I ignored him, the more angry his texts got. Stop ignoring me. I know where you live. I can show up at your house at any moment. Answer me. And so on. I called his nonsense and ignored it. Three weeks had passed and Jake stopped texting me. I was going home from a birthday party and I heard noises coming from behind me, but it was no one there, so I kept walking and finally got home. And then I got a text. Jake sent a picture of me through my window saying, You look cute in that dress. I freaked out. I didn't want to move and I didn't want to turn around to look out my window, but I had to move, so I turned around to see that he was standing so close to my window that I could see his breath. He gave me the most disgusting smile and laughter. I screamed so loud so my dad and my mom came running into my room really fast to see that Jake was gone. I told mom and dad everything and showed them the texts and they went straight to the police. He was arrested but only got six months in jail. I still can't get his laughter and that disgusting smile out of my head. To this day he still texts me and I have to go to therapy once a week. When I was a teenager, I was pretty hot. 5'2", blonde hair, brown eyes, stacked, and a magnet for creeps and such. When this happened, I was 16. At the time, public bus was my main form of transportation. I was coming home from my best friend's house by myself at night. Not super late, but back then in the mid-90s, the buses started running hourly after 7. I had just missed my normal bus that runs the busy, well-lit street south of my apartments and decided to take the bus that runs the less busy, darker road north of my apartments rather than wait at the transit center for an hour in the dark by myself. As soon as I enter the bus, the creepiest freak on board starts staring holes through my face. He is probably at least 30, ugly, pale, horrible red poofy hair, wearing the typical 90s stoner apparel of the green flannel, jeans, t-shirt of some dumb band, and some converse. This loser stares me down the entire ride. He is seated two rows ahead of me, but turned in his seat with this ridiculous smile on his face staring at me the entire way. It's only a 15 to 20 minute ride, but when some freak is staring at you like that for that amount of time, it seems like hours. My stop comes and I ring the bell. 
he shoots up out of his seat and goes to the rear exit door. So then I am internally freaking out. I have mace on me, but what if that is not enough? I am small, and although I was pretty athletic, I had never fought a grown man. He gets off and turns and stops and waits for me, with that stupid smile on his face. As I go to exit the bus, another man stands up to exit. Now I am really freaking out. I am already stepping out of the bus, now with two men, one in front of one behind. I had my mace in hand and I was going to just start spraying, even if I got myself, because at least they wouldn't be able to attack me, and maybe I could crawl to safety. I knew the area kind of well and there was a house a half a block up I could try and get to. As I leave the bus and take one step away, the freak in front actually takes a step toward me, but then the man behind steps off and the freak's expression finally changes from that creepy smile to an annoyed look. He turns and starts quickly walking down the hill, almost running. I quickly turn to the man behind me. He says, I saw him watching you and uh, I was not letting you get off with that freak alone. I started crying with relief because I am 95% sure that freak was going to hurt me. He walked me to the entrance of my apartments just in case he was waiting for me somewhere and honestly, he's my hero. So just in case, if you are the man in Milwaukee, Oregon on the 32nd bus that saved a teenage girl from who knows what horrors that night, thank you so much. I don't remember your name or face, but I will never and will never forget what you did for me. It was over 10 years ago. I can't really remember how old I was. MySpace was still popping, so that old. I was sitting in the computer room scrolling through some old social media site that is no longer in use when my brother comes into the room demanding the computer. I told him to get lost. I had the computer first and he could wait his turn. He kept bugging me. He would throw things at me, tickle me, punch me. You know, annoying little brother things. He told me, If you don't move, I'm going to choke you out. I laughed and told him to go for it. He came up behind me and placed me in a chokehold, and we were both laughing as I tried to get out of his grasp. I remember slowly blinking, and when I opened my eyes, the room was black. I remember being extremely confused, and I remember not being able to feel my body. I don't know how else to put it, but something made me physically turn around and I remember seeing reds, oranges. The floor moved like lava and in front of me was a dark, silhouetted, extremely muscular figure that I could only see from neck down and torso up. At the same time that my eyes met the silhouette, he was already swinging to hit me, and when his fist connected to my face, it was like I was snapped back into reality. I was breathing heavy and sweating profusely. I looked over to my brother who was just sitting there, staring at me bewildered. He asked me if I was okay and told me that my eyes rolled back in the back of my head and it looked like I was having a seizure. I have no freaking idea what happened, but any form of answers y'all might have, I'm open to hearing. 
so when I was about four years old, I lived in a trailer court. It was kind of creepy and lots of old people lived there. I lived there for one year with my mom, brother, and sister, until one day I found this weird Rapunzel doll, and it looked so old and musty and dirty you could tell that it was very old, but me being four and clueless, I took the doll home. I played with it for a while and I was getting bored with it, so I gave it to my friend Bella. She was only two years older than me, so she took it without any questions at all. That night when I went to bed, I was just about to fall asleep, like my eyes were closed, and then I feel a pressure just along my back, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I felt like a soft scratch on my back. At first, I thought it was some kind of cat, which we did have one. Her name was Snowflake. But she didn't have claws, so it couldn't have been her. So after piecing that together, I froze and closed my eyes and cried and soon fell asleep. That morning, I told my mom what had happened. She said I was dreaming. That night, it happened again. And that whole next week, it would happen every night until one night I was lying down and my blanket was pulled off of me and violent slicing claws would be scratching all over my body. Let's just say, that morning, I moved in with my grandma. I have seen things, things that I will probably not forget. I work as a security tape reviewer for a security company. My job most of the time is viewing live feed from camera circuits at night, watching various monitors. Most of today's camera equipment, as in the DVRs, come with functions of movement detection. This means they alert us at the central and one monitor automatically tunes in when there is movement. However, there are still places that keep the DVR offline. This means that the DVR is not connected to the central and it keeps recording in an internal hard drive. In these cases, if something happens, such as theft or things of that sort, someone has to review the recordings. Most of the time, that is done by the local police, but in some cases, if the police have too much to do, the company is authorized to review the tapes. Then the reviewer has to write a report with timestamps and give the raw footage to the police. Some days ago, I received a call in the middle of the night at around 2 a.m., I was at work, so I picked up the phone quickly. It was my boss. He then told me that a coworker would come to my shift, that he would need me to go home for the day because I would have to travel to another city on the afternoon of the next day. He then explained to me that there was a sealed DVR in a farmhouse and that the police wanted it reviewed. However, it was sealed in steel and fixed into the concrete and I would have to go there with a steel cutter to pry it out from the wall. For me, it was good news, as I get to stay a week at home with the DVR for reviewing. I went home and got some sleep. I woke up the next day and I already had the address marked on my phone. I traveled the whole afternoon and arrived there at dusk. I arrived to a rural property in the outskirts of a town where a police car was waiting for me at the entrance. I parked my car behind the police and got out. As soon as I got out, I noticed something was wrong. A strong smell of rotten flesh made me gag as the police officer got out of the car to meet me. Hello, are you John? 
Yes. I then showed my documents to him confirming my ID. Alright, come with me, John. The power's been out for some days now. I got my equipment and started following him. We got inside a wooden fence gate and the smell got worse. A farmhouse could be seen at the distance. As night was finally falling, we turned on our flashlights. As we got closer, I could see various wooden fences at the side of the house. I then asked, So, what happened here? The police officer stopped for a second and looked at me. Well, Mr. John, it seems that this dude got left inside this property alone for about six weeks, hung himself, and then ended the life of all the farm animals with him. My heart sank. I've seen people getting shot before, but the idea of seeing someone dangling there for the first time was bad to me. But if you already know what happened, why am I going to be reviewing the tapes? It's because the family said the dude was healthy. They forced an investigation to be open. What a waste of resources, in my opinion, to be honest. We went quietly to the doorstep. The house was of average size, the walls yellow with dirt stains. In a small fence covered by the roof, there was a sink and a washing machine. Near it, the main door. We walked in the area. At the door, the cop hesitated at the door handle. We cleaned the thing already, but the smell is stuck in the building. As we got in, I noticed the door was abnormally thick. After the front door, there was a living room with an old sofa and old TV there. On the right, a long corridor with three doors at the side and a shelf on it. As we were passing through the first door, I noticed that this one was made of steel. The door also had two big padlocks made from steel. I asked, Why is this door made of... The cop interrupted me. There's a stairway leading to a basement on that door. There was nothing there aside from an empty room down there. Why the thick padlocks? How am I supposed to know that? The owner of the house asked for us to do that as soon as we got the body out of the house. Oh, so this guy wasn't the owner? No, he was hired to take care of the house. The next two doors were a kitchen and a bedroom. Inside the bedroom at the corner I saw a metal box concreted to the wall. Well, this is it. I got my equipment and started working as the cop helped me illuminate the area. In half an hour or less, I had removed the metal box from the concrete. It was really heavy and inside I could feel a DVR, still working on its spare battery. As I was inspecting the box, the cop was with me. Suddenly we hear a metal bang. The cop jumps, gets his gun, and points it to the door with his flashlight. Who's there? Nothing answers. He starts walking slowly through the house as I went after him thinking it might be someone or some animal. He inspects the whole house aside from the locked room. We conclude that it might have been some animal. The cop helped me carry the heavy box all the way to the car. Before going, he used a roll of police tape around the box, only letting the on-off switch, the VGA, and a USB port uncovered. The energy cable was outside already. I thanked him for the help and I went home. 
I arrived late at night, so I immediately went to sleep. The next day, I woke up and started working on the DVR. I left it in my room as I still lived with my mom at the time. First, I confirmed that all the excess weight was probably due to a large battery inside. I plugged a monitor and a mouse to it, as I could see it was still on. The DVR was a very good one with up to 12 cameras. All the cameras were unplugged when I took it from the wall, but in the darkness and the smell at the farmhouse, I forgot to count how many there were. The second thing I noticed is that the DVR was accusing problems with connection. That was weird, since the thing shouldn't have any internet connection at all. As I started examining the connection status, I found that it was indeed trying to connect to a Wi-Fi connection that now had limited access. I assumed that somewhere inside the metal box there was a Wi-Fi routing a 3G chip. That was the only way someone could get internet in that area. I closed all the connections for the time being. I then time-searched for around seven weeks ago, and the cameras were completely still. There was no movement. I realized that there were ten cameras at that place. That's an absurdly big number for a farmhouse. I set all of them for motion only and set it for a faster speed. All of them went dark. The footage slows down as I see the camera, 11, flickering on and off. There was too much static on it so I couldn't see. Some seconds later it starts going fast again. Camera 11 didn't flicker anymore. In fact, it didn't even seem on. In the space of what would be like almost two days, the image did not have any motion detection, so all I could see was black. However, the camera feed went on suddenly. Cameras 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 were clearly outside cameras as they were activated by rain falling on their lenses by the morning. All of them were around the house, each one viewing a side of the house. Camera 1 was viewing the main wooden gate. Camera 2 was mounted in a motorized base, going right and left. This camera was able to see a landfill at the side of the house and in the distance some animal pens could be seen. I deactivated the motion capture and had a good look at all the cameras. Camera 6 was in the concreted area outside. Camera 7 was in the living room, recording the sofa in the main door. Camera 8 was viewing the corridor inside the house. Camera 9 was at the kitchen. Camera 10 was viewing the bedroom. Inside the bedroom there was another wooden door and as the door was opened, I could see a bathroom inside. I accelerated the footage until I saw an old truck parking outside of the wooden gate. From there, two people got out. An older guy and a younger guy. They walked inside the fence and started walking inside the house. I could see that the older guy was showing the house to the younger one. I could hear a faint sound coming from my sound system. I turned the volume up. Voices. The whole system was filled with high-grade microphones in every camera, which is very unusual for a farmhouse system. I watched as they went outside and the older dude started giving instructions to the younger man, and the older man finally went away, leaving the young dude there. I started getting bored so I accelerated the footage. Whole days went by in minutes for me as I observed the man's routine through the days. I then realized something. Camera 8 at the corridor would go offline sometimes. I then stopped the system and went to check. 
I won't get into particulars, but it would seem as though every day the camera would go offline for three or four hours on the afternoon by itself. Thing is, someone had deliberately got into the system and erased those particular parts. I then searched for all of the footage on camera 8 for that specific time, and then started reviewing it. The camera would go offline around 1pm and would go back online around 3 or 4pm. That's until I saw it. Whoever was erasing it either wasn't very smart, or didn't have the time to do it, as he had managed to erase the DVR log but he forgot to erase all of the days. So on a Wednesday for the guy I could see what happened. After lunch, the man went outside to the animal pens. He got a chicken and went into a small barn behind the house. From there, he got out with a bucket filled with chicken parts. He went into the house and got in front of the locked door at the corridor. He used a key to open one of the padlocks at the door and a smaller door opened, almost like a prison door. The man then threw parts of the chicken inside, closed the small door and locked it. I was at a loss for words. Maybe the dude kept an animal inside the room, like a big dog. I had seen my share of weird people, so I thought nothing more of it. My thoughts were to, why would anyone delete the footage? I went back to the previous viewing, with the ten cameras on again. I then felt a bit hungry and went downstairs to get something to eat. I accidentally left the footage going. I ended up forgetting about it and even went out with my friends. I came back late at night and when I went into my bedroom, I could see the footage still going, now at night. I sat in the chair looking at the video. The image at night was very clear, almost as if though all the lights were on. That's when I realized the house had infrared spotlights all over the property, which is extremely rare for a rural property. Camera 11 started to come in and out of existence again. I got closer to the screen as it finally stayed on. All I could see was a grey room, completely empty, with only stone stairs at the side. The place had no visible windows but also had an infrared spotlight. Then it went offline again. I was weirded out by the whole situation already. A loud metallic bang went by the sound system. I stared at the corridor camera as it got the noise again. The dude was a heavy sleeper didn't even move with the noise. I then stopped the footage and called it a day. The next day I woke up early, got a cup of coffee and started viewing the footage again. The speed was good and the days were going normal. Then I saw the man staring at the metal door during a morning and that's when I quickly got to normal speed again. He was now examining one of the padlocks, the one he probably didn't have the key to. I say that because sometime later the man came back with a bunch of tools. He tampered with the padlock until it finally gave to a wrench. The dude then got a heavy wrench and went through the door. I raised the corridor camera volume. Nothing. The man comes back two minutes later. I then see the motion detection of the living room camera going on and off once really fast, but there was nothing on the video feed. The man closes the door and manages to put the padlock on once again. He then mumbles, Crazy old man. He then goes on the usual routine for the day. I accelerated the footage slightly now. 
The corridor camera goes offline as usual. Night falls and the man goes to sleep. As he is sleeping, I see the motion sensors going on and off on the cameras around the house. I stop and rewind the video, observing it again. On the video, and even with the lights of the infrared spotlights, I could see nothing. I even took a note. The motion sensors are malfunctioning. I then heard a loud bang at the side of the house. Camera 9. The one at the kitchen got most of the noise. The man wakes up, turns on all the lights and goes out with a gun. He then starts screaming while going around the house. I'll get you! Where are you? He keeps going around the house, goes to the animal pens and then comes back. He locks all the doors and keeps the gun at his side as he sleeps. The next day, went as usual and so did the next. When I looked at the time, it was night already. I left the footage on as I went to prepare my bed. I then sat down at the chair again to turn the whole thing off. There, it was night too and the dude was asleep. When I looked one more time at all the cameras, my heart began pounding. At the living room next to the main door, there was this tall, black figure, almost like a black sheet lifted around two meters into the air. I stopped the footage and rewinded to check if the dude had put it there. No, it appeared at around 3am out of nowhere, and I had this horrible feeling. I knew whatever it was, it just felt wrong. Then the thing raised an elongated black arm and pointed in the direction of the camera. I immediately closed off everything and went to bed. At night I felt like something was wrong. I even closed the blinds of my window, even though I live on the second floor. I was scared and at the time I didn't know if it was a figure of my imagination, but I started to see black shadows passing in front of the window. It was almost morning when I finally went to sleep. I woke up for lunch and forced myself to get back to work. I started the footage from that next morning. I didn't want to see whatever that thing was again. The dude woke up and went to work as usual. Even during the day now, the motion sensors would go on and off even though there was nobody there. The dude came back for the night. I accelerated the footage until that thing appeared once again. This time, it was in his room, and it stayed there, like if it was staring at him. The man then woke up and went to the bathroom, apparently not noticing the thing right next to his bed. He laid down again and went back to sleep. The things started turning to the camera again, and I quickly turned the feed off and started it again on the next recording day. The day began as usual, but this time, something happened. The dude went into the kitchen and stood there for some seconds, said something, and went back to his room. He then came back to the kitchen. I rewinded the tape and raised the volume, the man said. What did I come to do here? I found it weird, but everyone has those weird lapses from time to time. The dude repeated that three or four times during the day in different tasks, and then he went to bed and... This time, there was no dark figure. The motion sensors were going absolutely crazy. Aside from that, the night went by with no incidents. At morning, the man took his time to get out of bed. Two hours, in fact. He went into the kitchen, and first thing he says is, What did I come here to do? 
He keeps an empty stare the whole time, goes back to his room and tries again. This time he does breakfast and goes to work. He became weird as the day progressed, forgetting things and talking to himself. The day finally ended and he went to bed. At night at around 3am he wakes up. He starts walking around the house slowly, almost as if he is twitching at every movement. He then opens the front door, stops at it, and keeps looking outside with an empty stare. He does that for the next two hours without moving. He then leaves the door opened and goes to his room. He lays on the bed and stays there for some good hours. I was very disturbed at this point, but nothing could prepare me for what was coming. When the dude woke up by morning, he just went outside. He then proceeded to release all the animals in the farm. Some pigs even got inside the house as the door was opened. He then comes inside again, closing the door with the pigs inside. The man just starts talking to the pigs, as if though they were humans, his voice going grave sometimes as if the man was drunk. He stays sitting on the floor in his bedroom, talking to the pigs until night. One of the pigs defecates on the floor. The man removes his pants and does the same. He stays there, sitting on the floor. The man stands up and starts walking slowly to the front door. He goes outside. Camera 2 can see a big pig sitting on the landfill. The man comes behind the pig and grabs it. The pig starts squealing. The man then does unspeakable things to the pig, and the pig ends up defecating and biting him. After that, the pig runs away screaming. The man then returns to his room and lays on his bed. At morning, stains of feces and blood can be seen on his sheets. He woke up at around 1pm and stood up. First thing he does is kneeling next to a pile of his own feces. He then proceeds to eat it, littered with flies. After that, he stands up and goes around the property. He comes back from the animal pens with four small piglets. He closes the main door and releases the animals. The man proceeds to try to dress them in his own clothes. Gets visibly distressed when they don't wear it. One of them ends up defecating. The man stops everything and eats the feces from the pig. He then screams in anger. A bigger pig that was laying around gets all of his rage. The smaller piglets squeal as the larger one gets kicked until its eventual demise. Then he proceeds to opening the poor animal, pulling out its innards and playing with it. He then steps on three of the piglets and ends the life of the last one by biting its head. I finally vomited watching. I stopped the video and went outside a bit. It was around 5pm already. Decided to call it a day and started to prepare my stuff for sleeping. I woke up in the middle of the night and with my eyes closed I could hear whispers. When I opened my eyes a dark mass was on top of my bed on the ceiling, moving and whispering. I screamed and turned on the lights and the thing disappeared immediately. My mom came running from downstairs, getting in my bedroom. John, what is it? Uh... Nothing, nothing, just just a bad dream. My mom agreed and gave me a cup of water. I then went to sleep, but with the lights on. I slept very few hours that day. 
At morning, I had to go to my friend's house and I stayed there until evening. At dusk, I arrived home. When I got inside my house, I felt something was wrong. I heard my mom calling from her room. John? The lights wouldn't turn on. I started walking, but I froze as soon as I saw the main corridor of my house. It was dark, abnormally dark, as if liquid darkness was blocking my way. John. Heard my mom again. I would have to go through the dark corridor to her room. John, come here. My mom sounded more irritated now, but I stood there looking at the darkness. John, come here. I'm ordering you to come here. I couldn't move. I still felt something was wrong. John, come here now! My mom's voice was basically screaming now. I walked out from the house, never taking my eyes from the darkness. My mom's voice would now scream very aggressively. I finally stepped out from my house and closed the door, my heart pounding. I stood there on the front porch looking at the door for some time until I heard steps behind me. John? My mom's voice came from behind me. She then exclaimed that she had to go to the market to get some stuff, and I was visibly shaken. When my mom got into the house, the lights went on as normal. She then made me some tea and I went to sleep, all lights on once again. I woke up the next day by morning. It took a while to get courage to look at the video again that morning, but I finally did. It picked up on where I left the man naked in his living room with four dead piglets. It was afternoon already and the man went outside with the piglets. He proceeded to dig spots on the landfill, used some thick logs as stakes on the ground, and then nailed the corpses of the pigs to the logs. He then came inside. He stops at the main door and turns around, going out again, goes in the barn at the back of the house and gets something, proceeds to go to the animals' pens. Chickens, horses, and pigs can be heard in panic as the man screams and laughs. I was breathing heavily by now, and finally the noises stopped. All became silent for a while. Suddenly, movement. The man comes crawling on all fours with an ungodly speed. I hold my breath as he goes into the house, still crawling around. The microphone picked up as the man growled around the house like an animal. At this point, I was freaking out. The man stops, lays next to the corridor, and starts screaming. He screams and screams to the point his vocal cords snap, and he starts gurgling with his own blood. At some point, he stays there still. Dave finally came, and the man sits up. He starts crying, sitting on the ground. He then stands up and runs to the barn, comes out there with a rope, he uses the ceiling fan from his room as support and makes a makeshift lace. He then puts a chair on the bed and jumps. A loud snap is heard. I stopped the recording. I unplugged everything and carried the DVR to my car. I ended up taking the DVR to the security company that very same day. Things finally calmed down as I took the DVR away from my house. The police reached the conclusion again that the guy ended his own life, but I think there was something more to it. Whatever horror lurked inside that house, hopefully I will never know what it was.
My brother would sleep in my room often. He's five years younger, so I didn't mind. He seemed scared to sleep alone for some reason. My parents chalked it up to nightmares and too many scary movies. Well, one night he wanted to sleep in my room again. My parents saw this and told him he couldn't and that if I let him, I'd be in trouble too. Not wanting to catch anything from them, I told him I couldn't and that I was sorry. He begged and pleaded with me, but I firmly declined. Eventually he sighed and gave up, going back to his room. I had shut and locked the door that night to ensure he didn't try to get in again. Sometime in the night, I had heard the doorknob rattling. I didn't say anything, but then listened as I heard the lock click, signaling the door had been unlocked. Now mind you, my brother and I aren't that bad at picking basic room locks, and so I wasn't surprised when this happened. The door opened and I turned to look, and I saw someone in a crawling position looking into my room. I sighed, thinking it was my brother, and said, Fine, get in here, but don't blame me when mom kills us both. What I thought was my brother crawled into the room, and I expected to feel his weight as he climbed on the bed, but it never came. A minute passed and I looked over. The door was still wide open, and all I could see was the darkness in the hallway. I called out my brother's name and heard nothing. So I went down the hall into his room and, lo and behold, there he was, fast asleep. Needless to say, I slept in his room that night. This happened on spring break of 2015. I had just turned 18 years old a few weeks before this happened. I hate talking about this, it still makes me feel weak and sick, but this changed me into who I am today. I always love male attention. I've always been told I have a stunning body. I loved all the compliments and gifts from men trying to go out with me. So for my 18th birthday, I figured that I would start posting promiscuous pictures of me online. I went to a fairly popular site and posted pictures for a few days when some of the people made a Discord server just for me to share pictures and chat. I live in a fairly small community and figured the chances were pretty low someone would know me personally, but I still never posted my face or name. It went well for a few weeks. There were some creeps, but nothing too crazy. Until one day I posted a picture of myself in my mirror. I made sure to keep my face out of it like normal, but I didn't pay attention that my computer was in the background with a screensaver of me and my boyfriend at the time. Not long after posting the picture, people started to point it out, so in a panic I deleted it, but it was too late. I started receiving messages from one of the members who claimed to know me and my stepfather. He was trying to blackmail me to pay him for favors or he would tell my parents. Not believing him, I ignored it at first and just went to bed. When I awoke the next morning and checked in on the server, I had another private message from the man with a picture of the front of my house. Stunned, I didn't know what to do and told him okay, I'll send him some very personal pictures to keep this quiet. He responded quickly with, I cannot wait, Sadie. Now, I knew who it was. My name is Mercedes. Everyone who doesn't call me by my first name calls me Mercy, 
Only my dad's best friend John calls me Sadie. He lives across the street from us. Both him and my stepdad served in the Marines and in Iraq just at different times. John always had creeped me out. No matter what, he always called me Sadie even when I told him I hated it. When my parents weren't home, he would come pound on the door and ask to search the house to see if anyone was hiding. Before homecoming the year before, my boyfriend came to my door and John came running across the street in nothing but calf-high socks and his underwear, smoking and cradling a shotgun, harassing my boyfriend. He wasn't a large man at all, maybe five foot ten and pretty average build overall, but something about him was intimidating. I didn't really want to involve my parents. I know my stepdad would believe John over me. I mean, they were near inseparable. Well, that night, my parents and a friend with her new boyfriend were going out on a double date. They had arranged for me to watch my little sister, who was ten, and my parents' friend's son from a previous relationship, who was eight. This would be an easy job. Both kids were really well behaved. So after we said our goodbyes to our parents, I got the kids all settled playing a game while I watched TV. Several hours passed, it was around 9.30pm when I heard a knock at the door. Fearing it was John, I silently went to the door and looked out the peephole and saw it was my parents' friend's new boyfriend. I let him in and asked what was wrong. He said he thinks he forgot his cell phone in the kitchen counter. I said, oh, okay, well, you're welcome to go look, and I sat back down to watch my show. I heard him making some noise by the backsliding door, which was on the far side of the kitchen and thought it was odd, but whatever. He then came out and said that he found his phone, and he was heading back out and that he would see me soon. I don't know why, but the way he said that while looking at me just gave me the chills. About an episode later... I heard my back gate slam shut and click. Then someone began pounding on my front door. And I mean pounding hard. There was no stop to it. Like someone was just beating on the door with both fists as hard as they possibly could. Getting really angry because the kids were sleeping in just the other room, I looked at the peephole and told them to knock it off. My breath left me and my heart stopped. It was someone in a ski mask. In a panic, I spun around to go grab my gun and call 911 when I saw just in the kitchen another man wearing a ski mask. I tried to run, but he caught me. I began screaming while he forced my arms behind my back and tied them together, then threw me onto the ground. He then walked over and opened the door, letting the other man in. I was screaming and trying to kick him as he came closer. He said, relax, I just want to have a little fun with you, Sadie. You owe me, girl. My friend and I'll be quick and no one has to get hurt. He then grabbed me by my hair to yank me off the ground. I don't know how, but I somehow managed to kick him in the shin. He screamed and called me terrible names. His friend rushed over with a kitchen knife in his hand. He handed it to the first man, who then in one long slow stroke slashed me from the middle of my chest to my belly button. It burned. It stung, and it hurt like nothing I've ever felt. I tried to scream, but my voice caught in my throat. I wanted to puke and pass out. I was horrified. He dropped me back to the floor as he stomped around, telling the other guy to tie up the kids. He replied with, he can't find them, they must have ran out. There I saw my chance and rolled over onto my knees and 
jumped to run upstairs. I tripped and stumbled as they yelled and ran after me. I ran up the stairs and ran right into the first doorway which was my parents' room. I kicked the door shut and dove under my parents' bed crying and screaming. Just as I was about under, the door flung open and someone grabbed my ankles and yanked me out. It picked me up by my hair and threw me onto the bed. It began trying to claw what remained of my shirt off when there were more banging downstairs. He stopped and looked at the door, holding his hand over his mouth and nose. Bang, bang, bang. It sounded like someone was slamming their entire body into the door. Then finally a massive crash. Then the real fear began. Someone downstairs was smashing things, everything in their path. Then we heard the swinging. It was a deep, throaty, gritty voice with a slight Eastern European accent trying to sing slowly. I am death, I am here to eat you alive, I will tear a piece off of one at a time, I will bathe in your blood, Satan will love me and I will be him. It only sounded slightly song-like, but it sounded so demonic, it had such a booming echo. I began to scream and cry harder as I could hear it thumping up the stairs. Then all of a sudden the other guy shouted and there was a loud crack and smashing and some screaming before a loud, smashing, hollow, squishy thump. Then the stomping continued with a slow laughter all the rest of the way to the door. As I saw the shadow enter the doorway, the first man held the knife to my throat while I screamed and thrashed. I seriously wet myself crying while he yelled, Stop or I'll cut her. The shadow stopped and laughed again as he held up his arm over his head. The first man suddenly dashed the shadow. The shadow moved so quick I couldn't see when I heard a crack, then a gurgled sigh as the man slumped to the floor. The shadow came to me with outstretched arms and said calmly, It's okay, Sadie. You're safe. Close your eyes. I'll get you out of here. As he picked me up under my neck and knees, as we walked into the light, I saw that it was John. He took me to his house and I honestly blacked out. Next thing I knew, I was in an ambulance on my way to the hospital. Several days later, the police came and got my story and told me how lucky I was to have had someone like him near. When I was released, my parents told me what happened. The kids ran to John's house and told him some men broke in and he told them to call 911 as he ran to our house. He killed the first man by breaking his leg, then stomping on his head. The second man was seriously injured with two stab wounds and a broken arm. He was also arrested. His name was Paul. He was the new boyfriend of my parents' friend. When they were out, he said he felt sick and was going to head home. The police ended up finding he was the one blackmailing me. I never would have thought John would be my savior. I hated him for so long. He was just a very cautious man who cared deeply for my stepfather and his family. He had no family of his own. I didn't feel safe for almost a year without John around. I pretty much lived in this house for that time. He taught me how to shoot, how to defend myself with anything I could find, including my hands and even a newspaper. Unfortunately, John was killed by a drunk driver six months ago. It wasn't until after he died I found out about his past. 
He had a troubled childhood and joined the Marines as soon as he turned 18. He went force recon, then four years after went to special forces. He retired after 12 years of service. I just graduated from college this past May. I enlisted in the Marines and leave for boot camp in July. I figured this is the least I could do to honor his memory. Please remember, John, he was truly an amazing man, and I wouldn't be here to share this story if it wasn't for him. Before I begin, I feel the need to explain some backstory. Throughout middle school and most of high school, I had depression from losing my father. I would self-harm and I had anorexia. I feel the need to share this to show that I wasn't in a place to be dating and that I was a very vulnerable young girl. It was my senior year of high school and I was pretty popular because I easily made people laugh. Admittedly, my school was very small. My class graduated with about 100 kids and had 100% graduation rate. Due to this, I knew everyone in my graduating class and could only point out a few that I didn't get along with. I think because I was so well known and not shy about my mental state, that's why my ex decided to pursue me. He was a new kid from another country, so of course this was the thing that he would use to reel me in. It wasn't long before he and a mutual friend of ours had convinced me to go on a date with him. The first date I remember he seemed so kind and caring, and looking back I don't see any red flags other than him maybe being too nice. After that first date I had already fallen and he knew this. He love bombed me after that first date. Love bombing, for those who don't know, is when an abuser will show you lots of love and affection very soon in the relationship to manipulate you into staying. Just two days after our first date, he was already texting me that he loved me. Quickly, we were official, and he would let everyone around us know that. It was an intense relationship that lasted three months, but it felt like three years. During our time together, it didn't take him long to manipulate me into skipping classes with him. During one of those skippings, we got in his car and we were driving. I didn't know where we were going, but we soon stopped in a wooded area near our school. This was the very first time he assaulted me. He used my trust and my love against me. Basically, that first time, he made me do things to him and he stranded me so that I had no choice. Afterwards, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't just leave. I loved him but it felt wrong. I didn't leave because he would always tell me about his own issues and I thought leaving him would be the wrong thing to do. On another occasion, we were kissing in his room when he grabbed my hand and took control. Another time, he held me down. Before New Year's, we had planned to have me spend the night at his place. He kept talking about going all the way and because I was scared, I made up an excuse. I told him that my mother had grounded me and I couldn't go. I spent New Year's alone, frantically checking to make sure all the windows and doors were locked and in panic. Despite everything that happened with me, I've never been the jealous type. He would always mention this girl around me and tell me not to be jealous and I would tell him I wasn't but I guess I should have been because I found out that he was cheating on me with her. The day we actually broke up was triggered by him but ultimately brought out by me. I think he could feel me pulling away and so he tried to scare me by saying that if I 
didn't treat him better, he'd leave me. I snapped at him in that moment. I brought forth everything that he had done to me and then broke up with him. For about two weeks after, he begged me over the phone not to leave him. I stayed home from school those two weeks in fear, telling my mother that I wasn't feeling well. At the end of the two weeks, my mother told me I had to go to school. I knew she was right, but I wasn't ready. I broke out in tears and told her everything. Her response? You didn't even go all the way. All of this over some boy? You can stay home today, but you're going tomorrow. I felt so invalidated. That day I told my best friend that I was going to end my own life. But my wonderful friend went to the school counselors and the police came to my home. They had to stay with me most of the day until my mom got home from work. I decided to come out and tell my friends at school about what had been happening for the past three months. When he got wind, he turned it on me and convinced people that I was spiteful in doing this to harm him. Out of the about 40 kids I saw as close friends, I walked away from that experience with about five. After that, there were a bunch of kids who came to me telling me of their own experience with him. I have been with this bully and that's what he was. After this, he started following me around school. He would lurk outside my classes. He knew my schedule inside and out and would pop up in places he knew I'd be. My life had become a nightmare from that point and only got better when I described what happened to a teacher. They couldn't do anything due to lack of proof and it not happening on school grounds, but he believed me. I finally had an adult in my life who didn't invalidate me. Anytime he saw my ex lurking around, he would get him in trouble. Life is better now. Things do get better. He stopped following me around and I no longer live in fear. I still have trouble and I have flashbacks when I'm reminded of him, but I'm working on myself. This experience has given me the desire to get better and work on myself, which I didn't have before. So when this all started, I was in 6th grade and I was 12 years old. My mom and her fiancé of 6 years had just broken up and we couldn't afford the house we lived in with them, so we had to get an apartment for the two of us. At this time, when my mental health issues really started to show themselves, my mother had barely paid attention to me between her fiancé and my drug addict brother who lived with our dad in Ohio. Now, I had severe anxiety, depression, and borderline personality disorder since I was about four years of age after my dad left. However, due to her distractions, she never noticed any of the signs I was showing. Now, around this time is when she finally started to notice me and my struggles, but not until after a school counselor had called her after finding I had begun self-harming. So, I had been in a really fragile state and was young and naive and would listen to anyone who wanted to pay attention or acted like they cared. I had been a pretty serious dancer. I did all styles and was a soloist in competitions and have been invited to national competitions and to be part of the national team of dancers from around the country. So like I said, I was a pretty serious dancer. At some point, child me being, well, a child... I like to show off my tricks and I uploaded small little tips and tutorials on YouTube. One day, I got a message from a girl named Katie. 
Katie told me she was a gymnast and would like to talk to me about tips on stretching and such since the video she saw was one I had posted on stretches to be able to do the splits. She had asked me if I had Skype and due to the divorce between my parents and the birth of my nephew, I had already had Skype to be able to talk to my dad and try to see my nephew on Skype, although that one never worked out. Anyways, we talked for a couple of days, and she told me she wanted to introduce me to her twin brother Patrick, or PJ, which one he'd prefer, but I was introduced to him as Patrick. Now, like I said, I was a young and I was naive, and my mom didn't really pay much attention to me. So I'd Skype Katie and Patrick, although they would never be on camera. They always had the excuse that it was broken. They supposedly attempted one day, but it was so blurry I could just see the outline of a person. Anyways, Katie came to me to have a competition of who could... Now, trying to think of a better way to say this, do more inappropriate things on camera. Which I'm pretty sure... What she said they were doing is not what was happening at all, but me being young, naive, and stupid and never warned by my mother about these kinds of things agreed. They wanted me in my skivvies to do splits and dance stretches or whatever, and she said that she'd basically, well, you get the picture. They wanted to watch. Looking back now, I'm completely confused by all of this, and this is nowhere near the end. After a little bit, I was really annoyed at the fact that they only communicated on Skype with me and that they never showed their faces or let me hear their voices. They finally gave me a phone number but said that they could only text because the phone didn't have minutes, which I'll get to that later. This helped and made me feel a little bit better, but on Skype, they only ever wanted me to strip and stretch. I'll try to tell them no, but Katie would threaten to hurt Patrick, who by this point had sweet-talked me enough into forming a long-distance relationship with him. However, I don't count it as a real one. Again, me being young and scared, thought I had to do it to protect him. My mother, who had been oblivious to all of this, had finally discovered things because of an image that was sent to my school email which my science teacher had full access to. My mom went through my phone and computer to discover what was going on. Of course, I was grounded from my laptop, but my mother still let me text Patrick because she felt that it was all Katie's influence. So I maintained contact. Also, at some point through this, I became friends with Patrick on Facebook. However, it's not important as much until later. And so time goes on, and we continue to text until I get my laptop back. Then Katie is back and influencing everything and of course my mother finds out. I get my phone taken away for good and laptop as well. Not kidding, I never got them back, ever. And the following summer I had gone to visit my dad's. At this point my mom, catfishing long distance boyfriend, had sent me an iPod Touch, which we found out later when I cracked the screen and took it to the Apple store was bought by a woman in Wisconsin. We didn't know, but this man was supposedly living in England for a business thing. But he doesn't have anything else to do with the story, so I won't get into that. So with my iPad touch, I had Patrick's number saved, and by this point, I had been done with the whole situation. But I realized I could call the number to see if he was lying because my dad lived in another state, and Patrick wouldn't know the number. I called, and an adult male voice answered. I said I was looking for Patrick. 
and they immediately hung up and blocked my dad's number. So that basically confirmed it to me, and I removed him from Facebook and blocked him. I went on for months, never hearing from him, until I get a message from a friend of mine. She said he was messaging her looking for me, so I unblocked him to see what he wanted. We chatted for a couple of days until I decided I was done putting up with him. Now at this point I was on medication that did not disclose certain side effects that showed up in testing and I had them. However, no way to know that it was because of the meds, I became pretty promiscuous online and due to this I was grounded from all technology. Now the friend he had contacted was my Girl Scout troop so we saw each other frequently and he'd always message her to ask about me. Whenever I had technology at the time, I had some sort of messages from him, but I ignored it mostly. Now when I was 17, so this is 5 years after we met and about 3 to 4 after I stopped talking to him, I got a message from an old friend from 6th grade. Now, due to moving out of our house when I was in 6th grade, we moved out of the district but we decided to just have me finish the year where I was. So I hadn't seen or spoken to this friend since we were 12. She told me a boy named PJ was messaging her and asking about me and wanting to contact me. I was livid. I decided to unblock him and see what he wanted. I confronted him for messaging other people and trying to drag them into things. Suddenly he says he still has the old pictures and I asked him which ones. He proceeded to send me photos of myself at 12 years old. All disgusting to which he got me very angry, telling him he had no right to have those and that I would report him to police and he complied with deleting them. At least, I hope, but probably not. That's the most severe it's gotten, but to this day he still tries to contact me trying to act all sweet and charming. Now I'm a nice person and I respect all people until you do something to me. Last I spoke to him, he had contacted me either shortly before or after my wedding to which I decided to finally go ahead and block them. I haven't heard another word since. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, r let's read official, and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear your story featured on the next video and join my Discord to interact with me and other listeners directly. If you want to support me even more, grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt. All links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends, and remember, Waka Waka. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.